OTB Sports Rugby. Some of the hype around Jack Crowley has been premature. He's played pretty well, but having him as the second coming of Christ seems to be a little bit aggressive. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, you're very welcome along. I've no idea what day of the week it is. It's Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. We're here with you all the way through until 10 o'clock this morning. Shane is here. Shane, how are you? Morning. How are things? Kathleen's here. Kathleen, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? A little lap of honour for our resident Arsenal fan this morning. Turns out um, everything's back. That's how you do it. That's how you pick your second slash first team. You mix it up a little bit. You don't just load in everybody who hasn't played any football together for a month, and then you romp home 3-0. Yeah, I was slightly worried when Saka limped off, uh, just with the North London Derby coming up this weekend, but we were all fine. We were all good. We won 3-0. First hour was a little bit worrying. I thought we were going to have to do one of those replays in an already packed schedule, but we got there thanks to Elneli and Inketia, who are not two players that I'm normally like... Yeah. Thanks, lads. Although Nketiah this season has been quite good since I was gonna say, is he, injury. Is he not slowly ascending to cult hero status? Slowly. I don't know if I go cult hero. He's slowly ascending to someone that I actually trust on the pitch, which uh, for, goals, an, for an Arsenal fan <laughs> is actually quite a, quite an honour. <laughs> it took someone stepping up when Jesus was injured, and I think Nketiah has done that. His finishes last night were brilliant. Oh, they were great. The, the third goal, like the little cheeky dink. Mm. Uh, very, very composed in front of goal is Eddie Nketiah. This is the thing, though. I think with Nketiah, he's definitely a better finisher in front of goal than Jesus. I just think Jesus maybe offers a little bit more in live play at the moment to Nketiah, but also they're coming from two very different positions. Like They're t- at two very different stages of their career, so it's kind of what I would expect from both of them. And a very happy Kathleen would be Gabriel Jesus not injured and the two of them vying for that place and seeing how far he can like push Nketiah into maybe taking those great finishes and also a bit more in-play form and seeing how we can build that relationship because that would be really good for the team. Because the thing, the thing that's always going to go wrong with Arsenal, I think, in this whole are they going to win the league, where are they going to finish in the league, is depth. And we don't have a lot of that. And even seeing Emile Smith-Rowe come back last night was great for that. Mm. But we, we need to kind of challenge players a little bit more and kind of have those. Because once you go past the starting eleven. You know, fair enough, it wasn't our normal starting eleven last night, but you're playing Oxford United. You don't really worry about that. You do worry about it when you're playing City or United or some of the other top teams. I nearly named Chelsea there, but don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> Forget about them. Uh, you'll have to excuse me. Apart from knowing that uh, Stevenage are playing Stoke in the next round, I, I blanked out the rest of the draw. Oh, well, Arsenal, away to Man- is it away to Manchester City? Yeah, away to City. <laughs> I mean, talk about that. City, so City will have had to have played Chelsea and Arsenal to get to the fifth round. Which isn't uh, exactly ideal for them. Feels well, so sad for them. I mean, uh, Chelsea uh, is a handy yeah, draw. Exactly. <laughs> turned out it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. As it turns out, Arsenal's next three games are Spurs, United, and City. So I think we'll we'll know a lot more about where Arsenal are at. Yeah. And I feel like in Kedia's performance last night, like Mikhailo Mudrik appears like he's coming from Shakhtar. So I mean, in Kedia, he's timing his goals very, very well. He knows his pressure's under. Well, coming. see, the thing is, Mudrik wants to come. He's always said he wants to come to Arsenal. Yeah, Shakhtar are so determined that they are going to get their hundred million for him. 
and Chelsea have also said quite a few times that they're you know they're so eager to just disrupt this entire process. I actually think they're concentrating more on disrupting this process than they are on what they're doing on the pitch. But uh, I don't know. Like the last couple of days, it's stalled quite a lot. I yeah. do, I really don't think Arsenal are going to fork out the sort of money that Shakhtar want. So and Arteta said it was either after this game or after the game, and probably at the weekend that. Uh, it's kind of up to the player now. Like, if he really wants to come, he needs to make Shakhtar very aware of the fact that he wants to come. Mm. And I think a lot of people are waiting to see what team Shakhtar name at the weekend and whether he's in it or not. And they're kind of using that as a bit of a gauge. Whether he starts waving goodbye to the fans. Yeah, you exactly. Get these January indica- indicators, don't you? Of transfer impending. Yeah, um, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes because they're also up for Joe Felix, but that seems to be gone as well. So, Well, Joe Felix is going to Chelsea. Yeah. Everybody's going to Chelsea. <laughs> it's rumoured to Chelsea. You'd wonder why at this stage. I know. Well, obviously the money is amazing. <laughs> and you're starting at a, at a mid-table team. You know, you're, you can work Exactly, yeah, yeah. Them. You know, you, you can be the messiah. Yeah, 100%. Tenth place, I mean, and Chelsea are going to get knocked out of the Champions, Champions League, you'd imagine, by Dortmund. Yeah, well, if they keep playing the way they're playing. I don't know. I mean, who knows? You know, this could be one of the great smash and grab seasons where Chelsea remember that they're a Champions League winning squad and team. Nah. Pot, is Potter a Champions League winning manager? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Potter is anymore. I don't think he even knows what he is anymore. I think that was always going to be the path he went when he went to Chelsea. Like, he was. Everyone said that maybe he would bet in well when he went to Chelsea. I never thought he was going to bet in well. Mm. I think he needs time. He's like Arteta in what he's done with Arsenal, in that he needed time to go into that squad, have a couple of seasons, build the team he actually wants, get rid of the dead weight that he doesn't want, and then go from there. But. I don't think that's really what Bowley wants in a manager because he's just like well, even Bashi Shell, that was like what, a seven and a half year contract for him? That's ridiculous. Like how often do you get seven and a half year contracts these days? I'm fairly sure that's about writing that contract off over that period of time and so therefore it gives them continued flexibility to keep signing players. Mm. So I think that's all that's about. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see if that like is followed by other clubs because what's your motivation to work very hard if you're going to be paid your massive salary for seven and a half years? Let's wait and see what impact that has on, on players. Um, you know, uh, So it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword in keeping the financial flexibility and then also keeping the player motivated to like work because, I mean, you've just won the lottery forever. Mm. I, I think at... At Chelsea, there is the chance for a turnaround for Potter, like Arteta. If you remember, one of my brother's friends tweeted a few years ago. He's an Arsenal fan, massive Arsenal fan. Uh, it was after a bad Arsenal result and a bad run of form. Arteta, I'm sorry, you're a great player, but you got to go. And then the other so day, you bring it up all the time, 100. percent Last weekend, <laughs> turned it into an NFT. Last weekend, he tweeted again. He said, uh, "Mikel, I've said some bad things about you in the past, but uh, you're at the wheel. Let's, you know, let's get, let's go." So th- you know, there's a chance that Potter can have the same. Fickle football fan changes 100%. mind as soon as team gets success. <laughs> I think the thing about Taboli is that sacking Potter now. First off, they paid 15 million quid apparently to Brighton, and they gave him a five-year deal. Mm. So that's um, a 15 million a year. Am I right? I was a 12 million a year. So it's something. So that'd be like 75 million quid. <laughs> Yeah. gone you're like oh my god it's pretty embarrassing even for the billionaires who are totally rich and again I'm still it's murky who has all the money in um, in Chelsea but I think they're going to give him the time because uh, it's just what happens largely in American sport um, is that you you get your guy he does what you want as the owner and Potter's not saying no to any of this yeah. Potter's not saying no I don't want you Felix I mean I have 
about 12 players who play exactly the same as him in the same position who are all playing shite at the moment especially your boy Pulisic I'm looking mm. at you Bowley why are you making me pick him come on come on is, is his He's dad awesome. He's are awesome. his parents winding you up <laughs> has he got Gio Reyna's parents in your ear mm. <laughs> would, you, would you like to sign Reyna oh I would not thank you I'm going to draw the line at that so I don't know I think that um, Potter seems to be the perfect manager at this stage but he needs to show some teeth and start like, I think they'll give him the season like I don't think they're going to get rid of him now but I could easily imagine it going into like halfway through next season and if things aren't improving I think Bowley will fold because I, I also don't think he wants to be made a bit of a laughing stock and that's kind of what's starting to happen in the sense that you know even Pep's comments after the last game against City telling him oh Bowley you should give Potter a bit of time you know it, it takes some time to become a proper elite manager look at what I did but also I had Messi you know you don't want other managers taunting you or your club in that way that's like the worst place you want to be bar bottom of the table of yeah you don't want to be patronised by your rivals uh, it does look like he stepped aside as the sporting director and has now put a structure in place so uh, we'll come back to that and we'll do some more digging on um, the Chelsea hierarchy over the next while at 7.38 this morning here's what's going up between now and 10am John Hartson's going to join us at 5 past 8 to look back on the career of Gareth Bale uh, Colin Boyle and Andy Moran are going to join us to look back uh, on the career of the greatest player never to win in All-Ireland. Is he, um, is he, was he the greatest non-dub over that whole last decade and a half? Was there anybody from Kerry who you'd have ahead of him? Because like, it's the end of Gooch, so that doesn't count. I, you know? I don't think so. I don't think there's anyone that can... Well, well you can give us your thoughts in the comments. Uh, John Duggan is going to be joining us then. And then after that, Sarah Rowe is going to join us. Sarah Rowe's making a late bid for inclusion in the Republic of Ireland World Cup squad. Um, Sam Roy is going to join us at 10 past nine to give us some um, fitness advice slash talk to us about being the best forward outside of the first division in, uh, in the country at the moment. And then some James Horn goodness reflecting on Lee Keegan at half past nine this morning. At 7.40, though, let's turn to um, a couple of big stories. The first one is from the um, American investigation into um, coaching I don't know what was the official terminology around this so one was a, there was two reports one was into abuse and one was into misconduct um, in the league so we had the first one which was done by a former deputy attorney general Sally Yates which came out about god six seven months ago now and then obviously the second one came out just before Christmas there and that was probably the one that caught a lot more Irish attention um, because Vera Powell was mentioned in it for alleged misconduct in the league she has strongly denied any of the misconduct and she has released a very strong statement she gave a press conference uh, she did an exclusive podcast with Nathan which you can get on all the off the wall channels talking through her side of the story um, but what came out last night was kind of the the, re- the repercussions of those reports um, so the NWSL has banned four coaches uh, Paul Riley, Christy Holly, Roy Dames and Richie Burke and they kind of in the way that we said when the last report came out that they didn't really put a level to the different uh, levels of allegations. You know, they just kind of almost put them all in at one. They've actually kind of leveled it out here. So anyone who was permanently excluded, they're a level one violation. Um, So then Vera Powell is mentioned in level three, which says that her future employment in the NWSL is conditional. So should she ever want to be employed in the league again or should a club want to employ her? Um, it says that at the satisfaction of the commissioner and in her complete discretion, Fear Powell must acknowledge wrongdoing and accept personal responsibility for inappropriate conduct, participating in training and demonstrate a sincere commitment to correcting behaviour. Um, so, yeah, there's 
various different levels to this. Obviously, we have coaches that have been completely bland. You have ones that their return is conditional. From some of the other conditional returns, um, coaches can't return for two years and they have to undergo more severe training. Uh, some of the clubs have also been sanctioned. The sanctions are up to like $1 million and also systemic changes. So this is kind of the... This was one of the final steps in the process in terms of actually handing out, uh, after saying, okay, this is what happened, now here are the things that you have to do to actually make the league right again, I suppose is probably the best way to put it. Um, but I, I don't think it's the last we'll hear about it, because obviously, as we have said, Vera Powell has strongly denied any of the allegations against her, so there could be more to come from the story. Yeah, I'm sure, um, again, I think a lot of people were confused by everything being bundled in together um, and so these things aren't really on the same scale or spectrum um, you know there's vast differences between the accusations um, against one group of people and another group and um, so you know again we'll wait and see if um, Vera Powell has any response to what has broken over the last uh, 24 hours the FAI came out very strongly immediately after the first one and uh, they defended her so it, I don't know, I don't know I, maybe Vera Powell never wants to go back to work in the States again um, but if she does, she would certainly have a case about the process that was involved here um, and an opportunity to uh, make her side more better known. That's one, one thing we want to talk about. We want to talk about this week's uh, episode of Koi Gig. You've got a, a very special guest who has a fairly remarkable story and a very important story to tell. Yeah, so we are back after our Christmas break with uh, Reading captain and Scotland international Emma Mitchell. Uh, Emma played with our own Emma Byrne at uh, Arsenal for many years, but she had a baby in November 2021, kind of end of November 2021. And um, basically the whole podcast is her talking about the experiences of being a pro footballer and being pregnant and then also having a baby. And... Some of her stories are just, they're harrowing. Like if they were happening in a, an, a workplace outside of sport, you'd be like, this isn't, this doesn't seem legal. This doesn't seem right. You know, one of the examples she gave us was that she, if she wants to return to work and like not breach her contract, you have to go back after 14 weeks, um, which is insane when you think about going through the process of having a child, you know, no matter what sort of birth you have, that's going to be an incredibly traumatic process on your body. And then after 14 weeks, you're expected to be back on a pitch, running around, heading a ball, taking hits. Um, and she was just saying that if she was to have, if she was to get pregnant again now, she doesn't know if she could actually continue on her career because it's been made so difficult um, by various different policies that are in place. They're just not suited to women so it's a really really interesting chat uh something that isn't talked about a lot here it's talked a lot more about in america like in some players in certain clubs there it's written into their contracts that they can avail of fertility services or they can avail of certain um pregnancy benefits to help support players because obviously if you finish a playing career in your mid-30s it can be a little bit harder to get pregnant or that avenue might not be as easy as it would be if you were starting a family a little bit earlier uh, so yeah she really she was brutally honest on the podcast and it's a difficult listen at times but also a really important one and a really important conversation to keep having in the general context of how do we keep women in sport and how, how do we how is it legal for uh, a contract to say you have to be back at work after was it 14 weeks yeah so if you get 
Complete pay up to 14 weeks and then depending on the club you're at sometimes you can get half pay a little bit afterwards but what she was saying is that the league policy is just 14 weeks so if you don't come back after that time you're risking your contract and you're risking your place on the team which is you know I mean to me when I was listening to it it sounded like frustrated employment to me because (laughs) it's making it really impossible and I think she had a great line where she said you know you're body is your job when you're a footballer so you have to look after it and you have to care for it but this is a situation where a lot of things are completely out of your control and there isn't anything you can do um and I think she made the right point that it's just a case of research like you probably could go back to some sort of training after 14 weeks if you wanted to if you chose to but the research has to be done and so what that is and how you start it and how lightly you have to go. Like a lot of this conversation was started when Alex Morgan had her baby, Charlie, with her being like one of the biggest sports stars in the world. But even for her, when she started back playing, it took her over a year of actually playing games to become the player she was, and then she was better than ever. But again, it's so different for every player. So like how... I think at the moment it's very much left up to the WSL and the separate leagues. Um to make their policies and then within clubs they can add on to it but that's not really acceptable it needs to be much much wider than that alright so the podcast is available today is out already was that yesterday uh, it will be available this morning before half ten across any of the normal places you get your podcast alright very good that's uh, this week's episode of Koi Gig with Emma Mitchell and um, it's a big story and obviously it's one that we'll continue to follow here on OTB AM it's 7.47 this morning a reminder we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Um, the wheels will come off Arsenal season after zero from nine points in the next three games says Bobby Dwyer in brackets uh, our resident Spurs fan and the Arsenal fans will be calling for him to be sacked again I don't think anybody's going to be calling for uh, Mikel Arteta to be sacked at any point this no. season even if they lost every game for the rest of the year like they- I mean that's obviously not going to happen no uh, I've been hearing that for five months Bobby says Keen in the comments as well defending the I, uh, I the can't Arsenal see them like, I can't see them losing those three games City Spurs United I, I just don't think you know the, the way they're playing. It's hard to see them. Well, they they owe Man United. I mean, they do. Yeah, United got to win in, in that game when they probably maybe a, maybe a draw was more of an accurate representation of the game itself at Old Trafford that day. But wins a win, and um, yeah, and certainly Arsenal want their their slice of revenge. They could be a good cup team as well, Arsenal. You know, uh, I know it's City in the in the FA Cup fourth round, but they've always been a good FA Cup team. Why not play the big teams early, get them out of the way? And maybe Pepper rest Haaland and De Bruyne again. And we might, you know. You, know, you never know. Uh, right, so Lee Keegan's place in the Pantheon. Uh, where, where is it? Where, where does he stand? This is one of those difficult ones. We're going to get to it with a couple of his former teammates a little bit later on. Colin Boyle and Andy Moore. And Colin Boyle's already been on local radio saying he's the greatest Mayo footballer ever. Kieran Shannon in the papers today saying he's the greatest Mayo footballer ever. I think um, Willie Joe Padden has also said... He's the greatest male football. So that bit, I think we're we're probably all in agreement that he's right there, if not that. But um, like, where does he stand versus those those dubs? Who's the who's the best of the dubs? Even I'd say McCarthy, but of that era, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody's. He, he's one of the greatest players of of all time, isn't he? Well, I mean, that's not good. That's a very, you know, that's that's too bland. You want hyperbole? You Come want, on, yeah. no, I want facts. You want facts? One of well, there's no fact. It's a subjective conversation. 
Well, no, I, no I, I, give me the facts, Shane. Drop me some truth bombs. Well, I mean, in terms of the, the greatest to never win in all Ireland, he's he probably is the number one. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously going to I throw, didn't see Dermot Early Senior, so I don't know. No, and Conor McManus, from my perspective, I'm going to throw him and Nudie Hughes in, potentially, as, as Monaghan being one of the all right, yeah, Chinese that, of course, okay. number one. So you've, you've, we've, we have... Um, well, McManus is in the top five players to never win in all Ireland. poison in the system, unfortunately, there. Um, <laughs> it's interference coming through, what? Yeah. Cameron's here, Cameron. You're a Mayo man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, feeling terrible today, you know. Um, Sorry bereft. For bereft. Um, still not to tell this story, but anyway, I will. Um, my, uh, we used to have a shop down in Mayo, uh, in Castle Bar, and my mum would hate All-Ireland season every year because basically if Mayo got to the final, that's three Sundays where we'd do no business. Um, she'd love when we'd have the Connacht because um, the town would be packed but uh, she hated the All-Ireland series and then Mayo did her another favour and decided we're only going to do qualifiers for the next half decade in the... Uh, yeah, they made that decision. They, they made that executive decision we yeah. don't like that shop we're just going to do that to them um, and so it was even quieter but she really disliked the kind of feeling the week-long unofficial morning that would come the week after we'd lose the uh, all Also not final. good for business. Also not good for business. All right, I thought um, people would consume to try and ease the pain like we all do with our lives. Mm. No, no. That's not how capitalism works. No, no. Buy yourself out of this problem. Yeah, fair. All soup. Preferably on credit. Mm. 1930s Great Depression era type fare. Um, and I, you know, we, I haven't been on Mayo for over a year now at this stage. Um, but uh, I can only imagine the sense of loss and uh, grief that's permeating all the towns there today. Stop with all the clocks. Mm. What, what, what's the rest of the poem? <laughs> I don't know. I, I only did English in university. How would I know? It's yeah. in Four Weddings and a Funeral. <laughs> <laughs> you might have studied that one in English. In no, that probably that, did, uh, you know. Yeah. Given Classic the, of the literary the canon. bullshit that they have these days. Go yeah. on. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I was talking with a few of my mates and it's sort of, felt like we didn't we knew this was kind of coming we didn't want to believe it we thought something would step in i now know what it feels like when it, what it felt like in like july 1939 when you really thought maybe something had happened that would stop all this um but the inevitable happened and yeah it's He's, it's a sore feeling he is one of the one of the great big game players i'd put him as the the parchee song of gaelic gaelic games the parchee song was the man that alex ferguson always threw into the big matches what? No, no. I'm not having that at all. Parchee's Stone was relatively shite. No, he wasn't. Lee relatively Keegan shite. was absolutely sensational. No, no, no. no Parchee's Stone was like. Uh, they were both brilliant. You, you're, no, you're all. Like, Man no. United biased. Parchee's Stone wasn't nowhere near the best Manchester United player. Not fit to lace the boots. Whatever of Manchester United. Name about seven or eight of those players. Whereas this guy is the best player they had. Yeah, there's a fundamental difference between. This is like no, no, no. this is a cross between Wayne Rooney and Roy Keane. What are you oh, talking about? I'm talking about the attack dog that did the job for you. Oh, no, Ma- Ma- Mark no, Michael. Ma- no, hold on. This is hold on. Mayor playing footballer of the year. Mark, no, I know that. I know that. On a team that lost. Okay, I get that. Overcoming the, the dawn, the dubs bias, and the was, media to win it. He was always the Mayo man used. Right, Mark Quinn living. Man, Mark Sean Kavanagh. Take Enda Smith. And still score one three against him. He was always the man who did the job that the the manager wanted him to do. Which which is my example. That Parchy song was the same. Yeah, yeah. And would I'm not putting them on the same. Ten? I'm not putting them on the same pedestal. You just did. We just all take a breath here. Come no, on. No, no. I'm saying. Shocking. I'm saying. Shocking. They followed the managers. If we could just cut a little igloo around him and poof, no, disappear. Yeah. They followed yeah. the managers' uh, oh, orders to, the, to a T, and they're underrated potentially. As Lee Keegan is potentially underrated. Is he? I know he was footballer of the year. 
Um, but I think we'll appreciate him more now that he's retired. I know we all appreciated him at the time, but we look back at his career even more so with uh, with honour and acclaim. I think. Well, some of us, I guess. You clearly, you'd like, uh, you know, Parchee Sung. I'm a fan of Parchee Sung. I think I think he was brilliant. <laughs> I don't think it's a ballpark at all. <laughs> Is that the hot take? I was expecting the cold take. Uh, yeah, there's an absolute oh, yeah, no, you, you know what? You, you get what I'm trying to say. I'm sure. Nope. All you um, did we get to the end of your story? I'm not sure. Did we? No, that was it. I okay. was cut across by this. Uh, Go on. Yeah, horrible, horrible take. Anyway, yeah, you're finished. Sorry, are you finished your 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 story? Oh, I'm finished my story. Right. Yeah, yeah. Thank so God. you're here to do the top five moments in a Mayo jersey. <laughs> that Lee Keegan had. There's been a couple of these in the paper today. Yours has some overlaps with uh, Morris Brosnan's, but you've got your own. Come on. Yeah. So I think. I was reading Andy Warren's book yesterday just to kind of get a sense of the great man's view on it. He's kind of, that book is like the movable feast of Mayo GA where he's crossing over, obviously, with all these other greats. But um, he talks about his progress all the way up to 2015 was really when he arrived. But I think we can all agree, 2017. Sorry, this is getting good. Uh, Jesus, Shane, this is going to come up as a bad highlight for 2023 next December. <laughs> says Shifty Lad. Lorky says, taxi for Shane. Kieran McDonald's better than Keegan. That's a hot take. That's quite a hot. That's, take. Wor- that's worse than. My- Sorry, I'm leaning. Uh, people are people are un- not not understanding what I was trying to say here. Park Ji Sung followed the manager's orders <laughs> to the nth degree, and he was a big game player. Lee Keegan's seven cha- championship goals all came in huge games for Mayo. My point was. Parchi Sung and Lee Keegan are big game players, and they followed their manager's orders to a T. That's the only similarities. Can we all just relax? Okay, please? okay. I mean, that's like you know, I don't know, mediocre player did one thing once. I'm not Once, comparing them. Of course, like, Keegan is on a pedestal above Park. Right? Didn't didn't isn't isn't Parchi Sung playing in the Champions League final one of the like great blots in Alex Ferguson? Not playing was one of the great blots. Well, he did, he didn't play him in the Champions League final, and no, he regretted it forevermore. No. I don't think you're going to live this one down, Shane. To be honest, I've, I've explained now what I meant. You can rescue this Cameron by getting us into the top five here. Come on. Yeah. So uh, 2017 was the year um, Parchi Sung. I mean, Lee Keegan. Uh, really, it was. Um, his masterpiece. So that quarterfinal, as you mentioned, the one three against Roscommon, I think was absolutely fantastic. Um, is this in the draw? This is in the draw. So up to that point, Mayo had a really good habit at that point of like literally matching the quality of their opposition because they dumped out a Galway. Obviously, they dumped out a Connacht by Galway. Um, needed extra time to beat Derry, um, and that was Derry the Banter era. <laughs> yeah, 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 and blew a five-point lead in the first half of extra time. Um, beat Clare and Ennis, and Keegan scores this absolutely beautiful point um, to the right of goal, just 20 metres out. It's absolutely class. You should really watch. Uh, if you can find it on YouTube, look at it. It's brilliant. Um, beat Cork by a point in the Gaelic grounds. Also the banter era, Cork football. Uh, and then Roscommon await them in the All-Ireland quarterfinal. They've trounced Galway, a sorry-looking Galway in the Connacht final. Um, and I've quotes from Andy Warren's autobiography on this. He said, we were all over the place in that game, stuck to the ground, Ross Cummins have the run on us. Their backs are on top, preventing us from getting any easy possession and building scores. Their forwards do have the upper hand. We can't get to grips with their kick-out. We need something, someone to step up and drag us out of the hole we've dug for ourselves. On that dirty Sunday afternoon in a saturated Crow Park, Lee Keegan, playing midfield and marking Ross Cummins' best player, Enda Smith, drags us through. Lee just takes off, scoring 1-3 while completely taking uh, Smith out of the game. Carried on Lee's back, we scramble a draw, and then in the replay, they trounce 
Roscommon and obviously go on to that final. But, it, you know, come at the man, come at the hour. I just don't understand how a player can man-mark a player as, as good as Enda Smith and still score 1-3. Like, usually when you see a player man-marking someone in a, in a championship game, like Chrissy McCaig is great at it. There's some great man-markers over the years. They're anonymous for the match, and that's where they want to be. You know, you, you almost don't see them or hear of them in the entire game, but that means they've done their job. But Keegan was so good that he, he's man-marking players of that calibre and still scoring 1-3, which, which is rare and remarkable. That's it, and um, Andy talks about it in his book, saying, like, Keegan's approach to man-marking was just starve them of possession, mm. be that thorn in their side throughout the game. Um, and as you say, like, Enda Smith obviously scoring 1-3 while doing a perfect man-marking job. The final in uh, 2017, which we'll get on to, where he just keeps Kieran Kenny completely at bay and also scores one of the greatest goals in an All-Ireland final of all time. So um, 2017, we've got the quarter-final. Have we done the rest of it? Are you, are you doing the goal? Yeah. It's basically four of your five here are 2017. Uh, they, well, technically. Uh, the fifth is 2017-2022. slash Okay. Um, but, yeah, we have to mention the goal. Um, Keegan had scored a goal in the final the year before, but I think that was kind of tarnished by him getting a black card late in the first half. And when the black card was so stupid that yeah. that was like... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, we'll get Morris Deegan back on to explain that like, one. Like, what? 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 <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad decision. Yeah, it was, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it kind of... Like, we did lose that one point, point, but you think if Lee Keegan had played that whole game, who knows what could have happened. Um, but 2017 final, Khan gets that early goal, 19 seconds in. Mayo are leading at half-time, and then Dublin come out, uh, kick three points early in the second half. And then Keegan, it's just beautiful. Killian O'Connor passes to Andy Moore and does an about-turn, sees Lee Keegan, Carlos Alberto-style, marching towards goal. Gets the ball, slots of pass clucks, and he knows how to do that, obviously. Um, and, yeah, again, one of the early men. We nearly got there that day, and we probably should have on the basis of that goal. I think it's just such a special yeah. moment. But, uh, yeah, which kind of segues into my other one, which is uh, the, well, Lee Keegan's other famous contribution to that, uh, that final. Was there something else that happened? I can't, I can't remember. Actually, yes, Shane. Uh, it? It's one sixteen apiece. Here we go. Dublin ever free to win it. Up steps Dean Rock, who is absolutely not going to miss, right? No, I mean, never does. Hang on a second. You're league goddamn Keegan. The true master of the body check, the jersey pull, the murmuring of bitter somethings into the victim. I mean, target man for the afternoon. You've mastered the art of defending. This is the greatest chance you might ever have to beat your bitter rivals on the great stage. Force them to the replay, at least. So he takes the stealthiest missile on his person, his GPS tracker... It's followed you your entire journey throughout the final, the championship, and now to sporting immortality. He flings it towards the boot of Dean Rock, just as he's about to step up. You can see it here. You can see that projectile back into the left. It's, it's closer than I even remembered. It's closer to the ball than I even remembered. <laughs> it can't have not been right in his eye lane. Like Look it was how close right he gets to uh, Dean Rock as well. It's I, ludicrous. I think, it, I think it shows you how clued in or how zoned in a player taking a free kick is, and it's the same probably for a fly half in, in a big rugby match. You're in a different realm, mm. a different ether when you're stepping up to take a ball. Anything, if someone could could blare a horn in the distance, you wouldn't hear it. Anything could happen. You're but, just you're just somewhere else, and I think Dean Rock was somewhere else when that was happening. And it's those fine margins, like you know, this was for three in a row. This is for three in a row, yeah. 
and obviously Dean Rock kicks it and they win. But uh, you know, smart bit of you know, genius has no bounds. Yeah, if, if, many if that had been forms. missed, we'd have been talking about that forevermore. We still do talk about the GPS, but imagine he'd missed it as a result. Ah, imagine goes to a replay and you're not allowed to have any GPS trackers, which would be an incredible GAA move. <laughs> the GPS, the top of the, it's at the top of the back as well, isn't it? Yeah, so we would have had to reach back and rip it off and. Subtly, Some work. I, I want to see footage of him taking it and going, I know what to do here. Yeah, the Zapruder yeah. film, basically. The Zapru- it's basically the Zapruder film, yeah. Uh, John Claffey says, that comment will hurt Lee Keegan more than losing the All-Ireland's ads. <laughs> oh. Shane should have just said, he's a good utility player. Except he wasn't a good utility player, he was great. Uh, Jimmy Armstrong says, in fairness, Parchy sung won as many All-Irelands as Lee Keegan. Oh. Oh. Here comes the dubs. Danny Mac says, G Sung Lee Keegan, I ain't getting it even with the explanation. Stick to Nudie Hughes, boy. Ah, uh, here. And SuperCan354 says, uh, What is this Park G Sung disrespect, lads? I mean. I meant it as the utmost compliment. Well, it failed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying Park G Sung ever won a Ballon d'Or, but I'm saying he was an excellent player who, who did his job and will be remembered very, very fondly. Sounds uh, like you know he's watching. Richard Redbolt says, are we forgetting that he was part of the biggest group of bottlers football has ever seen? And uh, Griff says, Mayo, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Stand up for them, Cameron. <sighs> they all make very valid points. But no, they don't. <laughs> he hasn't uh, been in Mayo for a, for a year, he said, so he's already... Uh, you, exactly. You must it's starting, I'm starting to lose, yeah. I, oh, I, you can't I, be I don't doing even that. know what Supermax tastes like anymore. You can't be doing that. Well, they've got one on O'Connell Street That's true, you. that is true. Um, You're turning into a Southside wanker, are you? <laughs> I don't know. It always your true cultural identity. Yeah, look, what can I say? I'm, I'm a Bunsen boy now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It, like, I always feel like Mayo's best performances that year came a game early. In all of those, uh, and like you, you can talk about this, to, like the semi final against Dublin, where they kind of um, Dublin pay back their debt. But that was an excellent performance, and then we didn't turn up at all against Tyrone. It was the same, like. You can talk about the 2017... Came a year early, you mean? Uh, No, no, no. Like, as in, came a game early. I think, personally, I think Mayo played better in the uh, semi-final against Kerry. He should have won football in 2017. Like, Kieran McGeary won it, but um, I don't think anyone would have... Was it three times he was nominated for Footballer of the Year and he won it once? He should have won it for 2021. I get the whole argument that they try and maybe and give it to the the, uh, county that wins the All-Ireland, which is fair enough. Tyrone had a brilliant year, but... Uh, I think even Kieran McGeary that year would have been like, yeah, Lee Keegan was. I'd forgotten those two semi-finals actually. They beat they beat Kerry after a replay in the mm. semi in Croker. Um, I, like the answer to the whole, oh, they never won the Ireland. Like they've literally come up against the greatest football team of all time. Yeah, bad time, and that that's yeah, what stopped and, them. It's and, like, and they drove them further than anybody thought that they could be driven, and nobody else drove them anywhere close to that except Kerry once at the very end when they were up against history to try and win the five in a row. And even then, with 14 men, they were able to manage their way through the situation and just keep Kerry at bay. And no one drove the them the through the forehead of that particular bull. Like, you know, that we ended that 45-game unbeaten run that Dublin had in the championship. And he was always, Lee Keegan, the man who marked the top. So Jim Connolly was always, you know, he was always given that task. And he, he, he matched Connolly for scores. 1-3, I think they both scored against each other, or 1-4 hmm. in all those games. Similar to how Parchi Sung was always given the job of Messi. You know, he, he man-marked <laughs> Messi a number of times in matches. So if Messi is Jim Connolly... If Connolly's Messi, is he? If Messi is Jim Connolly, then Parchi Sung is... So is where, does, where does Lee Keegan stand up, stack up against those great dubs, though? Like... Um, Power ranked the best footballers of the Mayo Dublin rivalry. So of that decade, where does he come? In, in top ten footballers of that decade, uh, we can do five here. We've we, you know limited amount of time. Yeah, I, I'd say he's 
probably just behind McCarthy. Fenton? Would you put Con up there as well? No, he's probably third. I'd probably just put McCarthy and Fenton. If you were to obviously they're different positions, so it's it's tough to compare. But um yeah, maybe he maybe he's in the top three footballers of that decade. Mm. I don't think anyone would dis- disagree necessarily, unless there's Dublin fans watching maybe. Or where would you lads have him? I'd put him there. I'd put him ahead of Con, alright. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. He he uh loses Con to score that point in the semi final against Dublin. Jack McCaffrey's obviously up there as well. It. Yeah, and when when are we saying that the the Clifford era starts? <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Aren't, he's more the second half of that decade. Aren't anyway, like you know? decades measured in tenure, like tenure eras, yeah. arbitrary? Isn't it the Clifford era? Eighteen, isn't he Clifford? Uh, well, Clifford, is, is, he's had four All Stars in successive years. So, um, um, I mean, in his first season, he probably he wasn't as good as he is now, obviously, because mm. he hadn't quite got the physical gift he was still only a child <laughs> yeah that's fair that's fair you forget how young he is yeah uh, at least Lee is not Ireland with Westport pity couldn't go on and win with Mayo says Michael and that was your fifth highlight yeah well I picked I was between that and then I thought it was a good tee up for uh, winning the Mayo senior football title uh, this year uh, Westport have been on a bit of a journey they were relegated in 2014 to intermediate and then spent a few years there Keegan and Kevin Keane inspired them to the 2017 All Ireland Intermediate Hurling or Football Final. Uh, they um, teeter on the brink of relegation uh, in 2018 and 19, get to a semi final in the seniors, and lose to Brafie and Bell Mullet, respectively, in 2020 and 2021, the beaten finalists eventually. Um, but this year they did it and kind of did it against the odds. I think, especially in that final against Ballinar, you would have backed Ballinar to get the job done, but they, they went and done it. And those pictures of Lee at the end lifting up the trophy and his passion for Westport. I mean, you know, he's played every single sport in Westport, obviously rugby being another prominent one. But, you know, there's a real pride of community with Lee as well that I think we forget. He just, he, he pours his heart and soul into absolutely every endeavour he takes and it's usually um, stems from his pride for his community and his team. I did think there was a couple of seasons at the end of his career where he could have played as like a, a forward coming out on the second half of games and just just legging it and seeing what, what damage yeah, you can that's do. That's a debate, isn't it? As a free what radical. If, yeah, if they'd let him off the leash. Well, pick just him, how much damage could he even do? Pick him as a half forward with almost no defensive responsibilities. Okay, you've yeah. got your usual half forward, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I know all the coaches out there are like, oh, half forwards are the most defensive position in the field. Yeah, 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 whatever. Pick a corner forward then and say, okay, you're not supposed to defend. You know, do, do a little bit. But when you get back there... Like everybody has to give you the ball, and we're just going to see what what chaos can ensue. But maybe maybe there's no room for chaos in the modern game. Mm. I don't know. I, I think a lot of people would have been surprised maybe at the time because they're thinking, right, he has a lot more to give. But the two games, I was at his last Mayo game. A lot of people were that um, quarterfinal defeat to Kerry last year. Disappointment. Mayo were pretty poor. James Horn's interview afterwards was uh, fairly self-explanatory. They just didn't turn up on the day. So that would have been sticking in, in Lee's head as, a, as something, you know, you're committing for, for so many months and then you just go out with a whimper like that. And then the Westport win. I mean, to go out in a high at club level. I like to think of Lee this week just sitting in a pub somewhere in Westport and having his couple of pints if he's, if he's not doing his dry January and reminiscing and soaking it up because he's had an extraordinary career. Um, and all these comparisons are moot. You know, where does he come in the top? It doesn't matter. He was brilliant. Um, 
Uh, when I say he's underrated, he probably isn't underrated. We all appreciate how good he was. But my point oh, is, you're backtracking now. No, but in a number of years' time, I think we look back and, and say, you know what, he was actually he was actually even better than we than we thought he was. Do you know? Yeah, so it's, it's going to take a while to sink in. Yeah, just how much of a generational talent he was. Um, and with Mullen gone this year, like that's two. That's a that big we, double whammy. For it him, really yeah. felt like this was the last dance for Mayo with Doherty and uh, McLaughlin returning. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's well a now it's the last dance with a new. It's an entirely new era, and it takes a little bit of the pressure off in that they don't have those two who are definitely potentially generational talents. Uh, we haven't quite seen how good Oshie Mullen could be, primarily because of injury over the last twelve months in particular. But. Uh, Alright, uh, Cameron, that's a fair take Mayor were Super 1 match and just to touch off in the final The final against Tyrone was a mess, they were awful that day Says Griff, and Lee Keegan isn't underrated Says uh, Connor Joyce uh, Very odd take yeah, You're getting in the neck today It's at uh, Shane Hannan 01 yeah, yeah. Twitter. Well, People are slagging me for New to use, they're throwing in monohanisms there it's Just, just <laughs> stay away please yeah, I can take it, I can take it It is harsh, uh, there's a great picture in the Irish Times Of him celebrating in front of the hill uh, haven't scored in one single Mayo fan. Yeah, <laughs> one of the great photos. They're yeah. looking away. They're like, Who's, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can't make eye contact with. Him. Who's your man? <laughs> well, I think the photo that will always stand out. I'm sure they have the photo. Was the 2016 goal the one uh, where Fenton and McCarthy are in close vicinity and it's mm. kicking it past Cluxton? Uh, just like three of the great Dublin players, all in the one frame with with Keegan burying the ball past them. They can't that will stand out. Yeah, things you love to see. It. We're going to talk with uh, Colin Boyle and Andy Moore in about 10 minutes' time about this. If you've got views, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can always uh, get us at Off the Ball AM on Twitter as well. Uh, a couple of other stories that are doing the rounds Qatar and Spurs. We'll talk to John Duggan about that a little bit later on. They're talking about investing around a billion for a 25% stake. Uh, Spurs have denied that the conversations that they were having were anything to do with an investment. Was just They're just good mates with these very rich people who. Uh, are interested in um, buying into football clubs. Nothing to see here, folks. Hmm. Nothing whatsoever. So uh, don't be getting too carried away just yet. Um, Gareth Bale obviously has retired in the last uh, 24 hours. And um, it was a a very good career Gareth Bale had. He managed to uh, drag a not-great Welsh team all the way to a semi-final in the Euros. True mark of greatness. That and obviously the standout moments in Champions League finals, which... Uh, is is pretty mm. good and also he um, earned a lot of money playing football at a very high level the bicycle kick against Liverpool in the, the Champions League final is the greatest goal isn't it oh well there, there was the one on the sideline for, for Barcelona um, in the Copa del Rey in 2014 like, he's had some absolute absolutely unbelievable you forget some of the free kicks even he scored for, for both Madrid and Wales mm. um, but yeah to take your country to the World Cup for the first time since what 58 to take them all the way to the semi-finals of the Euros in 2016 There'll always be those breakout performances against Inter Milan in, in 2010, where he just, just like to say he destroyed Mykon in the return leg was an understatement. And then the first, I mean, the, it's it, the first leg is as complete a performance, or the first game against Inter is as complete a individual performance as you'll see in the Champions League, complete dominance. Um, and that was a good Inter team as well. That was oh, 2010, yeah. so that's the year Inter going to win the Champions League. Is it 2020 or 2011? It was around that time, so they're they're a they're a pretty good team at that at that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, moment in time. Inter, um, he, he, patriotic man as well. I know the Wales Golf Madrid thing is a <laughs> bit of a joke. Look, he he's a bit of a meme, Gareth Bale, because of the flag and because of the golf, and you know the fact that everyone's like, oh, he loves golf more than he loves football. Uh, it's a bit unfair. Look, you're allowed to like golf and also be a r- really good footballer. Um, a very very patriotic Welshman. 
who, who always put them first. Um, and the fact that he has five Champions League medals probably could have won more trophies across his career. Um, but for injury and, that, and the like, 33 seems quite a young age to, to have retired for a man of his skill. But you look at the number of appearances he's made over the last number of years and it's just not at the level that it needs to be at. So we probably thought this is a, this is a pretty good time to go out and what a career. We're going to get to uh, John Hartson in just a moment. Um, the other big news over the last 24 hours is that Roberto Martinez is going to be the Portugal boss. I'm surprised by this. I definitely thought that Roberto Martinez wasn't going to get another chance at that level of international football. He's got away with golden generations, Chair. Portugal have a lot of good young players. <laughs> another man that's become a meme, I think, Martinez. A bit of a joke, a laughing stock, isn't oh, he? Yeah, Which is, again, a little bit unfair. Did he win an FA Cup with Wigan? Yeah, and it wasn't terrible with Belgium what he did. I mean, they, pro- they under they underachieved, no doubt. Well, they beat Brazil in a World Cup. Yeah, a World Cup ago, and that was the time to push on. Yeah, but you know, um, fair play to him because that's a really good job. He's and quite, quite really a good agent, I'd imagine. Is he yeah. trying to just get out of the Everton like being in the run for the Everton job? Is that why? <laughs> uh, that's not going to come around again, right? Uh, you know, maybe maybe they should have stuck with him. Yeah, but there's Premier League job, jobs coming up all the time. I don't know if Martinez's name is ever going to be in the mix. Well, not now. I mean, like, why would you? Why would you go to the bit where you get sacked every six six months versus an international job where it's very hard to get sacked? Like, yeah. You're not getting sacked pre-tournament. No. Especially in the Portugal gig. And um, you've got a really good chance of winning. Mm. Well, you see, the, the, the level of expectation now in Portugal is you have to win the tournament, isn't it? Like, he's got to win the Euros in 2024. Without Ronaldo? I wouldn't think so. Well, I think, you, I think if you reach a semi-final for any of these countries, really, especially, you know, Portugal don't have a track yeah, record of winning loads of stuff. They we're giving out about Southgate getting to finals and yeah, semi-finals. But Portugal's a smaller footballing country. With as much expectation, I'd argue, except for maybe the, the press. Although we don't, the Portuguese press probably put pressure on that team as well. Um, I don't know if a semi-final is good enough for these countries anymore. They're looking at the likes of Italy winning it and France getting to finals and winning tournaments. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the expectation for a team like Portugal is go on and win it. Uh, certainly the opportunity is there, and I think that, like, but having said that, right, say you reach a semi-final or final, they're probably going to keep you on. Yeah. And that's another two years in the gig as opposed to uh, whatever mid-table Premier League team he's going to get, he'll get sacked after a run of four bad games. Yeah. Like, you're only ever two weeks away from getting sacked. True, and at least if you lose a couple of games at international level, there's probably a few months before the next games. You've time to, I guess, fix things. Um, it's it's a big job. Yeah, Has Martinez been linked with the Irish job before. No, I don't, I don't know. think so. Wouldn't like everyone has at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um, Lee Egan probably has. Yeah, you know what's going to happen? Ronaldo's going to retire from international um, close to Euro 2024 if he doesn't make it that far, mm. and they're going to go on and win it. Oh, is he not retired? I still going, I think. Is he for? Yeah, well, he hasn't. He has. He certainly hasn't. Oh, Martinez, isn't gonna, Martinez is like, no, thanks. We're moving on. I don't know if he'll have the if he'll have the final say. Could be the Portuguese FA and Cristiano who have the say there. He seems to have lots of say and sway. Well, he got dropped, so that was it. Yeah, right? and they started playing better. Shock horror. I don't know. I think he'll give it one last shot, Ronaldo. At Euro twenty twenty four. I'd be surprised if he didn't. There's the nation's league. I think chickens have already come home to roost on Ronaldo, even in Portugal. Yeah, possibly. Know the, you know. He's finished. Mm. He's, he's, his last his last game or his next game for his first game for Al Nasser is going to be that PSG friendly, which will be the last ever time potentially Messi and Ronaldo on the face same off pitch on the same pitch. So I'm sure there'll be loads of. Um, well, is Messi not a Saudi Arabian ambassador? Yeah, well, true. Yeah, they'll concoct some <clears> sort of. You, I, I, I didn't realize this, but um, uh, 
there's like loads of videos of of Leo Messi in Saudi Arabia doing Saudi Arabian tourist activities. Have you seen these? Uh, I don't think so. Well, um, the ads run on loads of the free games that my kids play. And I was like, where did these windows that are open on my computer come from? <laughs> and it's Leo Messi wearing oh, all those things. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, oh. uh, he's at a, you know, just like okay. um, him being dancing in the middle of stuff. And But there's loads of different ones. And you, you can have this Leo Messi experience for um, whatever price. And the price is obviously in, in is it reals? What, what's the, whatever the currency is. Um, and... Uh, I was like, this, this is like he's fully invested. So why would he not end up playing there? And why would they not end up playing each other for the same amount well, of money? Well, yeah, fair you know? point, fair so, point. Um, I mean, I think um, our, our Eurocentric view of the world, but like, yeah, I think there's probably going to be a Messi versus Ronaldo every year, three times a year, four times a year for four or five years where yeah. they're both picking up, you know, 120, 140, 150 million a year. That's fair. I saw Ronaldo's had to get special dispensation from the Saudis to um, to live in the same home as his as his wife. Of course, under Saudi law, that wouldn't necessarily be allowed. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it's bizarre. Uh, will they ever? Will, will Messi end up there? Possibly. I, I'd be interested to see who. Where does Messi want the World Cup to be in twenty thirty? Like, is he pushing oh, all the way for the Saudis, or is he Argentina, Uruguay? Is that is it? Is it a two country bid or is it a three country bid? It's three country bid. It's, I don't yeah. Know. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. I'm delighted to say we've got John Hartson with us to reflect on the career of Gareth Southgate. Uh, John, it's a sad moment, really, of Gareth Bale. Sorry, Gareth Bale, of course. <laughs> Not Gareth Southgate. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's a sad moment when it comes to an end like this, but I guess you guys probably were prepared for it, or were you? I think so. I, I, I think, um, you know, yeah, it's one of those with international players. You almost retire yourself. You know, it's not like playing for the club side where you're on a contract and you have to keep going. And um, you know, and I, he's done everything he's needed to do in the game. And uh, if he feels that he's 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 hit this peak and he's um, he's given everything, and he's at a stage now where it is maybe he thinks that he can't hit the heights that that he hit sort of a year ago or two years ago, then uh, he's decided to call it a day. So. It wasn't really a surprise for me. Um, I just feel in, in the last in the last few games I've seen him, he's he's not been as dynamic as as he previously has been. I'm talking about the World Cup. Um, he wasn't really that fit in the World Cup, so I wasn't surprised. And to be honest with you, I'm expecting probably another couple of um, senior players in the Welsh camp to, to basically follow suit over the next few months. Um. We'll talk about the highs in a moment, but just to, to it seems like over the last couple of years, the injuries really started to have an impact. When you when you think about his spectacular athletic gifts, it was one of the main attributes that he had was being able to physically protect himself, get away from the opposition, outpace people, outmuscle people. Once that started to to um, diminish, then he just couldn't do the things that he was capable of doing when he was genuinely world class. Yeah, well, that's the type of player Gareth was. He, he was very dynamic. He, you know, he, he he was like a Porsche. He, he was one, he was one to seven in thirty seconds. That's the type of player he was. You know, he could he could um, play the ball past a player and then show show the defender a clean pair of heels. His game was all about um, pace. You know, uh, setting off, leaving the defender standing. Technically, you never really lose that technical ability. He scored two goals against against um, Austria, 
And then he got the winning goal helped by deflection from Yarmolenko against the Ukraine to get Wales through to the World Cup. He, he's been he's had an extraordinary career. And I just think when you lose them assets that you had previously, um, and that's what got him to the very top of the game, you know, at a world-class level playing at Real Madrid, probably in the top four or five players in the world when he was starring for Real Madrid, uh, when he first went there in the first two or three seasons he was there. Remember, he was nine seasons at Real Madrid, scoring a whole, over 106 goals for them, winning five Champions League winners' medals, Spanish Cups, other, other sort of Cups as well. The boys had an extraordinary career and, uh, you know, he was such a unique talent and, um, you know, he, he's, it, it's his decision to retire and, as I said, I wish him well, you know. A very patriotic figure as well, John. We were kind of joking this morning about that and it's almost become a meme, the whole, uh, you know, Wales Golf Madrid flag that, it, that used to come out. But really, really always did put Wales first and that's, that's probably what, I guess, made Wales fans love him all the more. Yeah, well, he's, he's he's iconic. You know, he's uh, he's right up there. He's right up there amongst the greats. The, the the issue with that flag was, I can explain that 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 flag when they when they qualified for the World Cup, that flag the boys were going around the pitch, Cardiff City Stadium, and that flag was handed to one of the players, and then basically they was they were the lads were posing with the flag, and Gareth just happened to jump in the photo. It wasn't particularly planned or nothing like that. That just came off a fan. So basically, I know Gareth got a lot of stick for that. Um, but he, he was always uh, there. You always turned up. You know yourself. You you follow the Republic of Ireland and uh, you know other nations and everything else. Um, he always turned up friendly matches, um, and he made such a huge dif- difference. He was he was Wales's go-to man. He, he was uh, their talisman, and. Um, you know, I would arguably go to say that if, um, if if Gareth Bale, you know, wasn't within our ranks, the Welsh ranks, we, we might not have had the success that we've had in the last six or seven years, reaching three major tournaments. He, he's been that good and that important for the other younger players that have come through to see Gareth Bale. He's such a humble man as well. Um, you know, he doesn't turn up with a big entourage and, and, you know, six or seven of his mates around him and he doesn't give it the big I am. He's Gareth Bale. He's a proud Welshman. And uh, every time he's gone out on that pitch for Wales, you know, he's uh, he's exceeded all expectation of him. Obviously, though, in, in the World Cup, it, it was um, the, the lads were a bit under par. I think the whole... The whole proudness and the whole achievement of reaching a World Cup for the first time in 64 years was probably what Wales, you know, that that was what they, it, that was the expectations. Um, and I think slightly they took their eye off the ball on the football pitch. You know, they were well below par with their performances. But I think the achievement um, actually got to a lot of the players and uh, they were just happy to be there in the end. John, as, as a Wales fan, do you remember the first time realising that Gareth Bale was not just going to be another left back or another left winger who would have a good Premier League career, but that he was actually going to be genuinely world-class. When did the penny drop for you? Well, watching him for Spurs, I think. Watching him for Spurs, because I was with, this, I was with the, um, the national team myself under Chris Coleman for just over a year. I was one of his assistant coaches, so I, I was able to see Gareth every time we, we had an international match. And um, 
you mentioned it earlier on. His biggest asset, I think, was his pace, and he had wonderful technique. He had a wand of a left foot. He could put he could put the ball, you know, on a sixpence. He he, he could he could uh, take free kicks. He could hit balls from 30, 40 yards, and he was consistently hitting the target, scoring these unbelievable goals, all these magic moments. But I think uh, when he was at Spurs, when he broke in under Harry Redknapp, down that left-hand side, I remember watching him scoring a, a 20-minute hat-trick, I think it was, or a, or a second-half hat-trick at Inter Milan. Um, just his, his performances, his goals. You know, he, he carried Spurs for the best part of about a year, he, he was so consistent in his performances and in his goals, and of course, then that 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 um, you know that enticed Real Madrid to come in for him with all that money. I think it was was it eighty five, ninety million, close to something like that, um, which was remarkable. But he's had a wonderful career. You know, he doesn't owe anything to anybody. Um, he, he he reached his goal, which was getting Wales to a World Cup. He's been the best ever player ever to play abroad. His success is uh, is is so so much bigger than what any other player did while they were playing abroad. You look at, I've just alluded to all his uh, trophies and goals there. Um, he's a, just a unique talent and, he, and he's a really nice lad, you know. He's down to earth and, uh, you know, um, I don't know what he's going to do next. He, there's rumours he might join the live golf sort of um, <laughs> company because he loves his golf. So, uh I don't know, but uh, as I said, he'll um, you know he'll, he'll be able to uh, he'll be able to do whatever he wants to do. He's earned the right. When you were at training as a, a coach, was he doing stuff in training that you were thinking, Jesus, uh, this is incredible, or was it like kind of by that stage you knew exactly how good he was going to be? Yeah, he was. He was doing things that were out of the ordinary. He was hitting free kicks. He's um, he's a hard worker in training. He used to stay behind one of the last off the training ground. And, There'd be him, there'd be Craig Bellamy, there'd be um, there'd be little Robbie Earnshaw, there'd be Aaron Ramsey, all these guys wanting to get on the free kicks, but there was only one man that was actually going to be taking them on on the on a match day. Um, you know, some of the things his pace was just absolutely phenomenal. You know, he, he could just, honest to God, you had to see it. To, he, he's, he's such a special well-defined sort of specimen, if you like. His body is, uh, it, it, it's, he's just a gazelle. Like, you know, he, he was frightening his pace. He could just get away from people. And then he could deliver. He, he, he had a left foot to, to hit. You, you, look, you look at his goals, you know, every one of them is almost like a, like a goal of the season contender. He hit so many great goals and uh, it was a joy to work with him. It was a joy to have, you know, to be you know, with him for that sort of uh, twelve months or so, I was I was within the camp. Um, so uh, he was a fantastic player, as I said. I, I don't know what he's going to do next, but you know what what it does do as well. Now it, it leaves a little pathway for one or two of the the younger players that are coming through with the national team. Uh, one, you know, they'll have to step up now. Uh, I know Gareth Bale's don't come around too often, probably. Once in every, I don't know, God knows how many years, um, just to have that special, unique, you know, talent that he has. But you look at Brennan Johnson now and, and, and Dan James and Connor Roberts, Nico Williams, Joe Rodon. They, these are the ones, the Harry Wilsons. These are the ones now that have to carry that mantle through. And uh, and obviously uh, with Robert Page, he's been given the, 
the 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 job, you know, the European the, the uh, European Championship qualifiers, uh, the Euros start in March. Um, so they have to go again without their talisman. But as I said, I'm, I'm half expecting one or two others of the senior players to follow suit. Um, I think a lot of them, not one, three or four of them, up in there. 80, 90 caps. Yeah. And I think uh, another campaign might be a bit too much for some of them. The ones especially who are not playing regular for their club sites. Yeah, 100%. John, great to have you with us. Thanks a million for sharing that with us. Cheers. Thank you. All the best. It's uh, John Hartson there giving us some thoughts on the retirement of uh, Gareth Bale. Not Southgate, obviously. 29 minutes past eight this morning. OTBAM brought to you live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. A reminder that Braeburn Coffee, though, are the official coffee partner of OTB. Start the new year off with a delicious Braeburn oat milk coffee. January never tasted as good. It's available at Apple Green locations nationwide. After these short break, uh, we're going to continue our Lee Keegan loving with two of his esteemed former Mayo teammates, Colin Boyle and Andy Moore. Back after this. OTB. So yesterday, uh, after the show, news broke that Lee Keegan has announced his retirement. I'm delighted to say two of his former teammates are with us now to talk to us a little bit about um, his impact on the team that they played on. I'm delighted to say Colin Boyle and Andy Moran are with us. Andy, I might start with you. Um, You know the difficulty of of actually making the final decision. Do you think that there was any chance that Lee might have stayed on, that he he could have had his arm twisted? Good morning, lads. Um it's it's a, it's a funny one. I, I stayed on after the Kerry game last year in Croker and uh, I was quite high up in, in the stand and I just watched, you know, making this piece of Crow Park and I thought that day was all over. You know, and the rumours came out there the last couple of weeks with uh, when O'Sheen left that Lee was going to follow suit. But then all of a sudden it calmed down and... Uh, we, we thought maybe there's a maybe there's another year here, but it's uh, unfortunately for us, my own people, Donegal people, Dublin people, Clare people had it over the last couple of weeks with Tuberty, Cooper, and Murphy. But uh, today, I suppose, is our day to see. I, I think, without argument, our, our greatest ever player um, hang up his boots. Yeah, uh, Colin, what what made him so great? You would have come up against him, um, obviously, in, in uh, club matches and in training. What would have what would have made him so great? How you doing, lads? Uh, first of all, I, I think I just uh, I nearly choked on my breakfast earlier on when I heard Shane compare him to, to Jason Park, but uh, it, was, it was an unusual one. It was meant but, as a compliment uh, now, Colin, I have to say. Hard worker, <laughs> never living this one, big game player, big game player. Okay, yeah. yeah, if you said more of a Roy Keane... Maybe exactly, that's what I was thinking. Like Jesus. Yeah. But, but uh, uh, what made Lee so great? Look at it, numerous different things. Look at his ability to, to man-mark people. He's, he's athleticism. He's, he's pure dynamic power that he developed over, over the years. I suppose if you if you look at Lee from videos that's gone up on YouTube there from 2012, like he had a very good year, his first year starting on the panel. And then you look at videos of 2013-14, what the specimen of a man that he developed into and his sheer and pace and obviously his football ability was was always there with that you you throw that all into the mix and it, it just became you know a, a serious combination and, and just he developed on but it was his mindset as much as Anthony and Andy will tell you that all came from the training pitch with them and I know James Horn was on with, with, with Joe last night and he's on the league going into the, the death zone in, in training um, you know, and that's that's exactly what he did. You know, he just pushed himself to that to the limit absolutely every single time he, he he went out on the pitch. And I think the training pitch, and I think that gave him the confidence then to do what he did on match day to just go out and just let let loose and let rip, and and that's generally what he did. 
Uh, Andy, sometimes when a, when a young fella's coming through to an intercounty panel, um, you know, there's there's rumours and whispers about them because they've done X, Y, and Z at club level or underage county level. Uh, when Lee was coming through in 2011, like were there whispers or was it the case of you know just one of these players who breaks through and and, and as soon as he gets onto the senior county panel, then does his business? To, uh, to be honest, I, I knew very little about him before before he came into the squad. He was. Um, Joe, he, he came in and he was quite—he was quite erratic when he came in. First, in terms of his football, he, he was—you um, could see that this guy—you could get nothing off him defensive-wise. Like I used to play wing forward, could you believe at the time? But I used to play wing forward at the time, and you used to mark Leroy, and you, you spent half the time back the pitch. But he used to miss quite often. The the, the finishing wasn't there. But as as Colum said, as as the years went on, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, he really went to work with uh, Ed Cochran was our skill acquisition coach at the time was an S&C coach but he did a lot of work with, with Lee on his technique and wow when that took off then it just became this different animal of a player and like Colin says about the training field in 2011 myself I suppose David Clark, Alan Dillon we were 27, 28 years of age our career was Dillon had a better career than myself and David Clark. it was quite media, mediocrity really to be honest and then all of a sudden Aidan came in nine Joe Lee came, or Aiden and Donald Vaughan came in nine, and then Lee and Killian came in eleven, and Colum came back in twelve, and wow, our 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 whole careers lifted with these guys. So people would say, "Jesus, it's a love in with Lee and all the guys that are retiring now," but without them guys, the likes of myself, Alan Dillon, David Clark, would never have had the careers that we ended up having from AO with, without these guys. And Lee, Lee really lifted the standards around the place. It wasn't just. Um, it wasn't just the training field for me. It was when we got to Crow Park, he literally just took off. Like, like I don't remember Lee Keegan as being that great of a league footballer or even a Connacht footballer. What I remember from him is when we got to Crow Park, and I think his stats kind of emphasise that 7-48 in championship is insane. Like, he, I think he only scored about 123 in the league. You know, he, was, he just loved Crow Park, marking the best player, and saying, Joe, and it never phased him. Like, Colm is there. Colm, you couldn't see him with the walls. He was that white before the games, the week leading up to the games. I wasn't much better. Higgins was half asleep. And Lee used to just walk into the room. Colm will tell you this before, whatever hotel we were in. Lee walked into the room, hair be gelled, smile on his face, headphones in, ready to rock and roll. And he just had this mindset, lads. It's hard to explain. And we'll, we'll talk about the games. And two games really stand out for me. Of course, everyone will remember the Dublin games. But 2017, we play Roscommon, and obviously Roscommon is close to close to close to me here in in Balladrine. But we were we were gone. We were bet like we were out the gate in the, that first quarter final, and he we put him on their best player, Enda Smith, at midfield, and he scored one three lads from midfield. It was just one of the most extraordinary games. And then a guy that I grew up watching was uh, was Sean Cavanagh. 2003, we're both or 1983, we're both 1983 babies. Myself and Cavanagh. So I knew about Sean Cavanagh from when he was 15, 16. So the respect I had from him as a footballer was just insane. And then in 2016, Lee just. Joe nullifies Cavan, it takes him out of the game. I think Sean ends up getting sent off. And when we needed it, he just kicks a point off his left from under the Hogan and then he goes over to the Cusick stand and kicks a point off his right and wins us the game. And it, it was just in them big moments, his mindset was just incredible all the time right through, do you know? Yeah. 
it, it isn't saying that he can do both the defending and the attacking. That's the bit that marks him out as somebody who's really special and why everybody's saying he's the best male footballer of all time. It's like he wasn't just a spoiler. He was also a really gifted attacker. Like just in that, like Kieran Shannon, our, a friend of myself and columns, Kieran Shannon wrote an incredible article about Pawdy in the 70s, 80s. He was the attacking wing back, you know, and then all of a sudden you had the Paul, Paul Kearns, Johnny McGurk's, Noel Kennelly's from AO that could attack from wing back and score a point. Then you had Tomas who took it to a new level. And then you had Keegan who just blew every kind of stat out of the window. Like it, and that's why Mayo people love him. And like, there's no comparing him. We don't compare him to James McCarthy. We can see that James McCarthy is this unbelievably special player. We're just talking about Lee Keegan from Mayo and what he did. In 2016, he becomes the first ever Mayo uh, football, footballer of the year. He's the first ever Mayo fella to win more than two All-Stars. Now he's the first ever to win five. Joy. He was the bar setter. He was the guy that went and just you know, kind of said, lads, we can kind of do this. We, we, we can perform at the highest level. And like he just did return, his return in them big games was just, just incredible. I hope I don't make you <clears throat> choke in your cornflakes anymore, Colin. But I mean, where, where does he rank in terms of like, I guess the point was he, he follows orders that, that, a, that a manager gives him so succinctly and yet he almost exceeds those expectations like Andy said to, to man Mark Enda Smith in a match at midfield and, and, and still score 1-3 like I'm sure in the team talk beforehand there's, there's no discussion whatsoever of Lee you know, banging in 1-3 that day but he's able to exceed everything that's asked of him yeah, and I suppose, Shane, it, it had almost gone to the stage where it was almost a given. If we knew Lee was on a man, we were saying, well, that's him taking out the game. There's, there's no issue. There's going to be no issue with that with that player today because he was given the job of marking him. And it's because we'd seen it so often through the years. And I think when I was thinking back yesterday, I was thinking, when was the first time I remember Lee doing a proper man-marking job? What was the first task that was given? I think it was 2013 semi-final against Maddie Donnelly. We were playing Tyrone and Matty was a, was an up and coming player really for Tyrone. He was going really well, scoring consistently from Winford. And, <clears throat> and Lee just does an absolute number of them from, from wing back, completely takes him out of the game and kicks two outrageous points himself in the meantime. And what you were just saying there about, about him tacking, you know, American guys would attack and that, that's what he did. That's what he used as, as his weapon, um, to, to almost nullify them and take them out of the game. And, if you watch Lee a lot of the time, when he's sprinting back into position after kicking a score, he's literally sprinting back harder than, than he was when he was going forward. And let me tell you, that is that is extremely hard to do. But it was almost like he was showing his man, this is I'm going to be going up and down here all day and you're going to be chasing me. And he just he just really demoralized his opponents by doing that because he was he was so, so relentless. And you know, he'd almost be coming back with his smile on the face after after kicking kicking a score after sprinting up 90, 80, 90 yards and, and back he goes again. And that was just that was just the character he was. But I think over time his his game definitely changed. So he did that probably from, from whatever, twelve to, to maybe nineteen or something like that. And when the injury started to come in, in eighteen and nineteen. And then definitely in his last two years, I think his game changed a lot more. He was a lot more um conservative with his runs, I would say. He wasn't probably going as frequently, but his timing with them. It was almost it was almost he was going when he felt like his team needed him most, okay, and even a lot of the a lot of the YouTube clips that's gone up there the la- of the last two years from if you look at the scoreboard in the left corner, Mayo are always a couple of points down, and it's like Lee senses right, my team need me, up he goes, kicks a score, 
kicks an outrageous score and back again. And like that sounds like a, an easy thing to do, but it, it's so, so hard in, in, in tough pressurised moments. And that's what he was just able to do so consistently. It's funny, we've been talking about Gareth Bale with John Hartson and I do wonder, Andy, if, if one of the reasons why Lee Keegan is retiring is that he feels like he still can't be that completely dominant physical character in the game, even though the rest of us are looking at it going, Jesus, you're still incredibly effective. There's definitely a role there for you. Every other county, every county in Ireland would love to have you back at whatever physical um, or however diminished physically he feels he is I'm sure the management team are like no, you just go when you want to it's fine manage yourself yeah, yeah we've, we've, we've got a very good young player coming up from our club Dave McBride who you'd love to get a year under him just watching Lee playing and playing in beside him and stuff like that but it, it's not going to happen but I think if, if it was the last year of a cycle so if it was James Hornside I thought this was Michael Murphy at the time I was thinking if if Declan Bonner stayed on, I'm sure Michael Murphy would have stayed on for one more year. And if James Horn stayed on, Lee probably would have as well because it's one more year kind of thing. Now we are moving into another three, four-year cycle. So it's, it's different. Lee has a beautiful wife, Aoife, at home, two two beautiful kids, and it's just it's just a bit different. I know we can see... And, and listen, Lee's mindset is so strong, lads. It, it genuinely is. I'd say if he went back, he'd just go, yeah, listen, I just need to get myself, get my body right here. I can do a job as well. But I'd say it's just, okay, if I commit here, what am I actually committing to? Am I committing to one year or am I committing to three? Because once you're in it, it's it's hard then to get out of it. So I think this he probably just felt this was the right time for him, Aoife and his kids just to, just to move away. And that second child, it makes it very, very difficult to take to, to oh, yeah. time. One child is a beautiful moment, two children <laughs> is a completely different ballgame. So, uh, and like Aoife, uh, I think it's important to mention her because myself and Colm, she's been there all through Lee's career. It's like they came together, um, unbelievably supportive girl, like brilliant girl, brilliant around the place. And the two of them go together. I'm sure it's, it, it's very emotional for their whole family because their whole family, his brother and his mum and dad were always there with the team. So it's, uh, I, I suppose, a sad moment, but a, a great moment reflective as well, you know. I think about that um, attacking wing-back position column and granted Lee, Leroy could play in a number of positions, but uh, look, you think of, I guess, Tommaso Shea and Philly Jordan and these type of players in the noughties. But then Lee kind of changes it because you, you see the likes of James McCarthy coming through as well. Uh, and that created players like Carl Lacey and you've uh, Carl O'Connell, lads running up the flanks. Um, in a similar way to which Stephen Cluxton changed the goalkeeping position, is it fair to say Leroy in many ways changed that wing halfback position? He did really, I suppose. When you put him there with the with the names you've mentioned, certainly them boys started, you know, the the score and half back role, if, if if you want to call it that way. But Lee kind of took that on to another level, and he's almost taken it on to kind of Messi Ronaldo levels, uh, where you're thinking like it's never going to be done again. The numbers that he hit, like absolutely outrageous numbers, and you know, and it's all, it's been said numerous times. He's doing that why nullifying obviously the, the the opposition's best forward. I think it would have been interesting. I know Andy has always said through the years that Keith Higgins should have been developed as a as a forward um, from from his early years, maybe back in minor. I'd be interested to see does he think Lee should have been the same? Could he have been a, a wing forward or a centre forward for us? You know, with his with his score and return that he had. But I I think just coming from deep just suited Lee. It just, it just suited him because he's such sheer athleticism that actually coming from deep that whoever was marking probably wasn't going to be able to stick with them for the 80, 90 yard burst that he was making at the time and I think it was just it was just it was just ideal for his game at the time. But yeah, 
I think the, his, his goal in return for a back. Look, Tom O'Sullivan is kind of is kind of doing something mm-hmm. ridiculous at the minute for Kerry from that regards too. You know, he's kicking two or three points a game sometimes, but uh, Lee over a period of twelve years, you know, will we see the likes of that kind of score again from a from a number five or, or cornerback as he's been the last two years? It's very very unlikely. You talk. I think, the, I think the only time he, he didn't really, really hit the scoring heights in in Croker was against Kerry in seventeen when we played them two games and we played him as a centre forward because remember we moved Aiden back as a full back that time. And I think I think he hated a boiler, so I'm not going to say I'd have developed him into a forward, but he uh, them names yeah. lads, the Carlisles, yeah. the Colin Boyles, the, the James, the James McCarthy's, uh, Jack McCaffrey, these guys like we've just been feasted with halfbacks of. A calibre, I'm not sure, you know, like we've seen it in the 90s, but I think we've seen it now again with these guys. It's just been a, a golden era for halfbacks, and we were just very lucky probably to have two or three of them with Colm, Donald, Lee, and these guys. Um, uh, as Mio, we, we were probably very lucky to have these guys, you know. I guess uh, you mentioned the club stuff as well, Andy, like <clears throat> the fact that Westport did achieve so much this year and get over the line finally in the, in the Mayo Senior Club Championship. That must have been something that, that in some ways twisted Leroy's arm to, to say that, yeah, now's the time. I think he probably, uh, if I'm being honest, I, I think he probably had the decision made. I think it was the likes of Donny Buckley and Stephen Rochford coming back in probably stalled it a bit and made him think. Mm. Um, but I do remember seeing him in Croker and after Kerry, and I, I remember that feeling. He, the two kids on the pitch, he waited a long time. I think there's a famous picture of himself and Horn just embracing, and I was nearly like... Uh, this this is done now so it was um, it, it was a big moment I think but the Westport thing was great for Lee it was great for Kevin Kane and the boys but um, yeah I think his decision was probably made before that yet So Colin we're going to leave you with the comparison with Gareth Bale as opposed to Jisung Park and, and rescue <laughs> rescue everybody's breakfast today that's about right isn't it? Yeah, pace, power, yeah, athleticism, yeah that's that seems a bit more fitting alright yeah certainly <laughs> Outrageous highlight reel of scoring ability yeah. yeah, correct. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a pretty good reel. Now, if you match them two boys together in, in, in the one video, who Patrick Sung's not he watching likes today? There you go. Is, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe he'll have the time to, to get down to scratch. Lads, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Great to chat to you about. Thanks a million. Thanks, Thanks a It's uh, Colin Boyle and Andy Moore and sharing their memories of the greatest male footballer of all time. I don't think it's, I don't think it's even a, a question, is it? I know people at Nostalgia Bias will remember Kieran McDonald and Mortimer and those lads, but. And even Liam McHale before, but Keegan's up there. He yeah. has to be top yeah. of the tree. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that, that that team. Like I, that. Anyway, should look. We'll get into it. A forty seven OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day. John Duggan is with us. John, Jaron Shane. Good morning. A day of retirement yesterday. It was yeah, and uh, with Lee Keegan. Look, it's, uh, I suppose the thing that's coming into my mind is who's the best player to never win at All Ireland, and you'd have to think he's right up there with the with the select few that haven't, um, whether it's Frank McGuigan or even like there's players in so-called weaker counties that you, you don't know how they would have got on if they were playing for a Kerry or for a Dublin or for a Tyrone, Paul Barden or Gary Brennan or Barry Owens or even Kevin O'Brien for Wicklow. Or David Tuberty, that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I really felt that Kieran McDonald was an amazing footballer as well, just a very different footballer to Lee Keegan, just in terms of pure talent. Um, and But Lee Keegan, I suppose was a great servant. You could, you could say possibly he's the greatest servant never to win at All-Ireland or the greatest servant that may have had because he was able to do two things. He was able to man-mark players out of games in big games and also go up the field and score. Uh, so he was the complete player in that respect. And 
I don't think he should be defined by the fact that he never won an All-Ireland just as much as a great Waterford hurler wouldn't be defined in that way as well. So happy retirement, Lee. And yeah, that, that's my kind of take on it. Um, obviously, Colin and Andy would know more. And for Gareth Bale, as a Spurs fan, he gave us some great days. Um, there was 15 seasons where Spurs finished between 7th and 15th in the Premier League. So it was a really, really tough spell in the 90s and 2000s. And it wasn't really until Harry Redknapp came along that Spurs began to do something. And Gareth Bale was seen as a bit of a um, guy who liked his night out uh, in the town. And um, they kind of had to manage him in a certain way at the beginning. For his first two years at Spurs, he didn't play that many matches, but he never won a game. But Harry Redknapp was a really good man-manager of him. And then uh, he really just took off like a rocket, uh, played in a more advanced position and had a beautiful technique with the ball, and then that power, that surge that he had as a, as a player. And for Tottenham, uh, like there was a goal he scored against United in 2012. I remember being in Brussels watching it, and Spurs hadn't won in United since 1989. We went to Arsenal, we won. We hadn't won at Arsenal in 17 years. There was the Mycon moment in the Champions League against Inter Milan. There was the late goals against Southampton, West Ham, and twice uh, PFA Player of the Year, which was unusual once again for a, a player from a club that was nowhere near really winning the league. And then obviously went off to Real Madrid as a uh, world record signing, 85 million and won five Champions Leagues. It seems strange to be talking about him as only 33 and retiring. I guess that's what caught people off guard a little bit yesterday. It makes sense in hindsight now that he's been coming for a long time, though, I suppose. Um, I suppose once you get Wales to a World Cup and that was the first time in 64 years and you've achieved that and you've achieved everything you can as a club footballer and uh, the body hasn't been responding the way it should should have been. What's the standout? Is it is it that Inter Milan performance in 2010? Is it the bicycle kick against Liverpool? The the goal in the Copa del Rey where he there was runs just, the outside? I was producing Premier League Live for a long time and uh, there was a game against Southampton. We did a commentary game just before he left Spurs and he did nothing for the game and then in one moment he scored this brilliant goal and the 85th minute just surged through and just blasted into the bottom corner and that for me encapsulated what Bale was all about. Um, obviously the best moment that Bale ever produced was that overhead kick in the uh, Champions League final against Liverpool. Um, Zidane, who's manager at the time, they didn't really get on, but we all saw Zidane's goal against um, was it Bayer Leverkusen in 2002 mm. and, and thought, that, well, not much is going to top that in a Champions League final, and Bale arguably did that, you know. Well, did he have any weaknesses as a player? I know it's a strange time to be talking about weaknesses when a player hangs up his boots, but anything that um, stood out as missing from his game? No right foot, right? I mean, I, I don't want to... You're right. It's like, it seems Charlie. The other thing is, that, like, he kind of... You can, you, can, you can say his attitude was weakness towards well, the, the end of his career. The last four or five years, really, you know, he never fulfilled that level of potential. Or, And I don't know if we're going to find out that he was perpetually injured the whole time because when you think... You know, uh, John Hartson waxing lyrical about the Michelangelo's David body that he had. Uh, he did, right? But when it's that... Um, it's that perfect. Obviously, it breaks down much quicker than um, than other people's. Like, you know, there was there was no room for error there. But the once those physical gifts started to diminish, he was less capable. When he came back to Spurs, he was terrible, right? Yeah, like that's kind of completely it's forgotten about. It's forgotten during the cold COVID thing and uh, the empty stadiums. But yeah, like he couldn't play full matches. In the last three seasons, essentially, he he was a part time player. But still, even with that, managed to drag Wales to a World Cup. Yeah, you know, and that's that. He could, st- he could still deliver moments. Still deliver I, I can't see him. I know John Hartson was saying he doesn't know what he's going to go on to do. I can't see him staying in football in terms of coaching, even punditry. Maybe like he, he seems like someone who right football one and done. That's it. Uh, maybe I'm completely wrong. 
but it doesn't strike me as someone who would I, do as bad. You, you, can, you, you know where you'll see him definitely at the Dunhill links. Yeah, or, sure. or being a part owner of Wrexham or something like that. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's got the name recognition and profile to get involved in something that's not uh, day-to-day management. So one other story I want to ask you about, John. Um, John Ram is pissed off, right? John Ram's current form... Did he have a go at Patrick Cantley? No, he's having to go at the, at the world rankings. Yeah. It's not really... So the, the Cantley, he's kind of a victim of it, right? I didn't realise his form was so sensational. I've won three times in his last five tournaments, and his other ones were a second and a fourth, and his world ranking hasn't changed. So this is the whole law of unintended consequences. They, the world rankings came together with the, the DP and the PGA, essentially PGA, and we're like, okay... Uh, if a lot of high-ranking players are playing in small fields, like in Live Golf, then the world ranking points are going to be crap for those, right? And I was like, yeah. And then he's won a lot of small field tournaments, even though he hasn't jumped ship. And he's still only the fifth best golfer in the world, even though he says he's the best golfer in the world. And he's genuinely pissed off about it. He's talking about it, not like, you know, what's, what's going on with the system? Mm. Why am I not the best in the world? I've won three times. Like, I feel like I'm the best golfer in the world. That's not ridiculous. Earlier on in the year it was Scotty, then it was Rory, and now it's me. Well, world rankings generally in sport are generally flawed. Yeah. So Belgium were world number one for how long in football? Uh, I think it was over three years or something like that. Brazil are currently number one. Uh, the football world rankings are flawed. The rugby world rankings are flawed. We're not the best team in the world in rugby. France are. And golf, uh, to me, has always had uh, world rankings that are just too, um, and maybe this is working against John Ram at the moment, but they're too reflective of recency. Uh, whereas Scotty Sheffield is number one and then Rory's number one and really um, I think he's got a point John Ram but John Ram is always pissed off but the, 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 the golfers love the world rankings they think that's important in a way that the footballers don't and the rugby you know I mean if your you're KPIs are to go up to the world rankings and the IRFU might think the rankings are important we don't think they're important but the world rankings do seem to matter to these guys I think we're being number one in the world matters uh, and that that is the ranking that that they all want to strive to. So it it, it is probably just below the majors as a as a thing as a badge of honor. I don't, I don't Cameron know, Smith won the same tournament last year and, and got yeah. sixty two points. Ram only got thirty seven this year because they changed the rules to screw live, and now they're actually screwing their own golfers. And it's like, oh, how do we fix this? Oh no, John, just make peace with live. John Ram was demanding as well. He was he was I think he changed his tune a bit on that, but he was hoping that the live golfers would play with the Ryder Cup. He wanted to play with Sergio, but John Ram generally does carry an air of um, rage. Ego. Uh, I would call it, I don't know if it's ego. I, I, I think it's all of these things. And, and I, 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 but I think that's fuel for him. I think, that he, I think that's in a positive way. He, like he's the barroom brawler. He's my barroom brawler friend in, in a metaphorical sense. Um, you know, I can see the chairs like going over the, you know, but come on, John. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I think he uses his, there, there has to be a hook or an edge and it might be that, it might be the Ryder Cup, it might be something else. It, like a few months ago, it was like the fact that Tiger, Tiger wasn't talking to him. Mm. So there's something, there's always something with them, and I think he uses that as a kind of he, he needs to have an edge, John Ram. We, we were talking about this yesterday. That very weird Christmas video. I don't know if you saw it, John, but uh, Ryder Cup captain Luke Donald doing the Love Actually thing outside Rory McIlroy's door, and and uh, Luke Donald saying he wants Rory McIlroy to be more like John Ram. That was clearly a, like, oh no, John, we still you're very important to us. We love you, even though we're the ones making this video. You're at the center of our thoughts. Mm. Like um, they need John Ram. Yeah, and if John Ram jumps ship to live, then ooh, that's like yeah. But, uh, like he was giving out about the schedule while I was talking Rory sort of that. I didn't know about that. So, like, generally, is uh, there'll be another thing now in a couple of weeks that he but, but um, I think he uses that in a positive way yeah. because you'll see himself as a bit of Rory jealousy, bit of Rory jealousy. I, sure, Ram, yeah. I, I just think John Ram is just prickly as a, as a rule, you know, and I think that um, 
he just he's the kind of guy you've asked him three questions and it's beautifully uh, soft and then you might ask him a question and it oh we're, we're into a different world here it's like it's like Tyrone you know the Tyrone the football team have always built a wall around themselves yeah yeah I think John Ram does the same he tries are, to are Tyrone not always prickly all the time yeah, well, yeah of course but there, there's something similar he needs something to, to keep him going it wasn't just a Cantley. I listened to 50 minutes of Cantley the other day so um it was a bit of a diss, which I thought was unfair. Cantley's talking about winning the career Grand Slam, so that's where his head is at. Your man, Cantley. But that's it. You know, so you've got to do your research. So Ram was dissing Cantley as well. I thought he was a little bit of a diss now. I, I, saw, I only saw that, will I pass Patrick Cantley since the playoffs? He's, I only saw this bit of it, so maybe there's something else as well. Um, I guess my point here is, Rory better be careful. John Ram's coming for Augusta. It's all, they're all, the big beasts yeah. are getting agitated and it's going to be good. We're going to see more of them. And like you look at the way at Hawaii, they're all up the top. Jordan Spieth was there. Scotty Scheffler was there. Um, and I think, obviously, they're going to be playing more tournaments against each other at the top end. So bring it on. And I, I do think the, the quality is, is strong. JT, Will Dallas But I don't think like Patrick Cantlay is, what, fourth in the world, but his major performances wouldn't reflect with that ranking. All right. JD, All right, lads. Uh, no, not much. Um, uh, enjoying the, the football and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Arsenal and City get on in the Cup because um, they're meeting in the fourth round and Hugo Lloris has retired and also I'm reading today that Qatar and Spurs have met um, uh, with rumours about a 25% investment in Spurs by the Qataris. For a billion. Yeah. Um, they can't Which I'm it. sure they'll spend on players as opposed to putting in their back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> mm. You can only hope, can't you? And then obviously you have to be conflicted about it and I'll have to go into my moral diatribe and then just, you know, Return to Newcastle fan I forget all about it yeah John good stuff alright lads more from John of course on Saturday afternoon and off the ball on News Talk it is 8.58 OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day I'm delighted to say Sarah Rowe now of Melbourne Victory is on the line from Melbourne Sarah good evening slash morning to you how are you oh, I think we're on mute one of us is on mute <laughs> we, ha- we can't hear you there we'll go back to you now yeah we can hear you now I think yeah. Not me, I don't think there you go you hear me? Hi, Work, hi, working perfectly you? yeah before we get into your story um what do you think of the Lee Keegan era finishing? Because he's a, an all-time legend. Um, you're a male footballer yourself. Oh, it's just incredible to see, I suppose, a guy who could probably play another three or four years at the top of his game because he's finished on such a high. And I think that's, you know, having not have an All-Ireland final in his pocket but have had such a decorated career himself, um, it's amazing to finish being at the peak of your performance essentially um, but yeah sad to see him go because he's just um, you know he's a mainstay in Mayo and he has been for so long Right so let's talk about you um, last time we spoke to you a couple of weeks ago uh, you were in the AFL uh, off season and now you're back in the middle of the actual soccer season having been picked up by Melbourne Victory so how did this all come about? Yeah I'm not someone who knows how to relax I think um, <laughs> I think last season I took six, maybe eight weeks off because of the way the season time and worked and just took that time away and trained, obviously, but didn't play with Mayo that season. And I think I kind of missed not cross-coding, I suppose, but um, it never worked out for me to go back to soccer prior to now. I'm sorry, I don't know what that is. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can, yeah. Sorry, um, I just got cut out there. Um, it never worked out before now to go back to soccer because of the season time and dates with AFLW. So it was always that it was, you know, there was always an option to go back to Gaelic football. But I had definitely left soccer on an abrupt note a couple of years ago to focus on Mayo that year that we got to the All-Ireland final in 2017. And from that then I got the opportunity to come out to AFLW and probably only thought that I was going to be out here for a year. And then five years later, I'm still here. 
having returned to soccer two years ago with shells just I, I had that itch I was like I really feel like I'm not done I just don't know when I'm going to get the time or the opportunity to so I just seemed to align this time with season and had a few conversations with um, different clubs I spoke to Dave Connell at length he was brilliant um, in I suppose my transition back and just give me the belief that I could probably go back and uh, play at some sort of high level but um, it would be best to get a club either in Melbourne or um, come home and try get a club in Ireland or go from there. So I've, these conversations have been going on for quite some time. When you were younger, Sarah, were you a, a Gaelic football head or a soccer head or did you, did you have an order of preference? I think my first sport was soccer and then my second sport was Gaelic football. But I would say my favourite sport has always been Gaelic football, but it's just because I've come from a Gaelic football family with my both my grandparents playing um, with Mayo so I think that was always the thing it was always about family pride of place playing with the team you've grown up with your whole life but then I suppose soccer has brought you know different opportunities for me playing with Casper Celtic then on to Shells there was always stepping stones but I remember at the time when I left soccer for that year after the under 19 European finals like I always felt like I would go back but I didn't really see the pathways at the time because there wasn't as many pathways then it was only two or three years after that that you saw you know girls go to England or girls go abroad to play soccer but there just wasn't that path, them pathways at the time had there been maybe I would have made a different decision at the time well, I mean a, a World Cup being in Australia where you're already acclimatised to the weather and conditions Sarah that's a pretty that's a pretty coincidental pathway <laughs> No, I have a long way off that. I'm only back training about five weeks. I am not near the standard that I would hold myself to. And there's an awful lot of work to go in. And really, I know it's cliche and all of the sounds. It's really about me focusing on trying to get better every day and taking in as much education as I can and doing as much extra technical work as I can with the coaches over here. The coach, Steph Hopkins from Melbourne Victory, has been incredible. And they've just put in an awful lot of work to me. And I think I just really appreciate the confidence and faith that they have had in me over the last couple of weeks, considering I've been so far, like so long out of the game. For them to even give me an opportunity here has been amazing. I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, the, the World Cup, it's amazing. It's so good to think that all the girls, I was even talking to Claire Shine the other day, that they're all flying over and it's just going to be literally a flight away either in Sydney and Perth or whatever but um, regardless I'll be there cheering the girls on now that's if I can get tickets but um, yeah so I'm, it's, it's been amazing to watch what the girls have done So I mean all joking aside is it even part of your dream to potentially things go well and over the next couple of months get called back into an Ireland squad and do some training with them or is that not even possible with the AFLW? Well that's that's like saying, like, if you had an opportunity to go to the Olympics, would you not go? Of course you'd go. <laughs> of course you'd love to go. Of course it would be your dream. Any sports person's dream would be to play at the highest level of any sport that they can get to. So, yeah, I say, like, obviously one can dream about things like that, but it just feels like, you know, it feels like it's been eight years, really, essentially, since I've been playing at the highest level. So there's so much work that needs to go in from a personal point of view. Then you know, I need to bring that into victory and I need to. you need to perform week in, week out. So there's so many stepping stones to that. But um, for now, I'll just be definitely supporting the girls from behind. Uh, what position are you playing, Sarah? What, what, what type of soccer player are you? I'm playing in um, Katie McCabe's position, so tell her to watch out. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Uh, she, she's, one of, she's one of my great friends. She's an absolute credit. 
But um, no, I play in either left wing, right wing, or up top. We kind of switch. We um, generally switch between three up top. Uh, that that positional flexibility does that come from a GA background a little bit, where you kind of have to do a little bit of everything, no matter where you are on the pitch, or was that always kind of your game anyway? Yeah, that was probably always kind of my game anyway. I used to play centre mid um, when I was younger, but always with Ireland, I always played up through the ranks. It was always right or left wing. Um, but I think, yeah, I probably missed, within the AFLW, it's a very structured game, and I probably missed that flexibility of being able to play a bit more on instinct and kind of move around a bit more. But like that, like Gaelic football obviously brings a lot of that as well. You do play a lot in instinct too. Um. For anybody who hasn't seen it, uh, it's been doing the rounds on Twitter, but here's the Australian commentary of your first touchback in football, courtesy of the Australian soccer website, keepup.com. Have a listen to this. Cleared by Goad. And he's able to find Rowe. Oh, call an ambulance. Some ankles are broken there. What a run this from Sarah Rowe. Oh, dear. Sarah Rowe on that occasion absolutely sent Izzy Folletta. Call an ambulance. Some ankles are broken there. <laughs> Send for her dinner, Sarah. Normally, that's me. It's on the other side. Normally, I'm the one tripping over someone else. If you saw me the first week back of training, I was properly tripping over my own feet. So, um, yeah, that was. I think I was just lucky at that moment. You're obviously enjoying it. Yeah, I, to, uh, to be honest, I'm absolutely loving being back at a sport that I have such a passion for and I have for so long I really have missed it and um, I think that's been the thing I've just been so grateful to be able to train you know in that elite environment and be with some of some great players like players who play, play with the Matildas like we have a girl from Denmark at the moment she's playing with us she's on loan for six weeks to be able to play with these players and also learn from them as well has been amazing and just the training schedule is like far more than you would do at home in um, the National League because we train in the morning so we're in training for 7 o'clock and then we're done by like 1 o'clock every day but that's like 5 days a week so it's just a different uh, it's different to the AFLW again because obviously we're at a semi-pro stage in AFLW and we train in the evening time so even that in itself has been great Was there an element there in your head of unfinished business in football like has this been kind of on your radar since you went to Oz in 2018 was it something that you always felt if the opportunity arose that you would take it? Yeah, there was always, I always used to have conversations with my dad just about, like, you know, was there opportunity to play in Sydney, Perth, because there's teams all over the place. And you would have saw Julianne Russell played over in Australia. So I had reached out to her a couple of months ago as well to say, like, what was the standard like? What were the opportunities? You know, that all those things. So I'd definitely been asking questions for a long time. It was like, how am I going to get the seasons to align? And you know, I'm very much in the thick of it with Collingwood as well. Like, you don't want to, you didn't want to walk away from that fully, and um, without knowing what you're going into as well. So, um, I think there was there was a lot of weighing up to do, and then it just seemed to perfectly align this year. I, I missed the first five weeks of preseason, and then towards the end of Collingwood season, they were coming into round one. So, Jeff, the coach is like, well, like because they didn't even have real that much footage of me. It was like there was a small bit from under nineteen, but like. They were going off word of mouth from talking to Collingwood, from talking to clubs that I've been at before and, you know, taking a real risk on me really and just saying, when can you come in training? Can you come in straight away? 
but we were in the middle of finals at the time so I was like I obviously can't come in training until the season ends so then it was a really slow approach as well it was like Collingwood and Victory had to work together and be like she can train once a week with Victory the rest of the week with Collingwood twice a week with Victory then with RSV at Collingwood so it was a really stagnated approach because um, obviously transitioning to a different sport like managing your body trying to and um, prevent as many injuries as possible so I think I was very frustrated at the start because I just wanted to get in straight away and um, get as much touch as possible but um, yeah I think the way it's worked out has been perfect You already have National League and Cup honours with Shelburne from, from uh, before and you're probably seeing the increased interest in the Women's National League over here even from, from Australia on social media and whatever else Um like obviously this is a massive hypothetical but if and when you, you, you return to Ireland at some point in the future is it is the Women's National League on your radar is it back into the Mayo colours or have you even thought that far ahead yeah it's hard to think any further than right now my goal is to get to April because that's the end of the victory season and you know that's as far as you can think and then after that you go we still don't know when AFLW is starting again next season or when pre-season starts we've no definite date to that so there's still going to be loads to weigh up in the middle of all that um, but yeah National League is definitely not something that's not on my radar um, I always keep in touch with Shells and um, always chat to them they're always in the background even just wishing me luck for games and stuff so um, yeah that's very much that would be in the back of my mind definitely so um, the soccer season finishes in April and you say you don't know when the AFLW is, is, um, is definitely going to restart. When is it likely to restart? It's likely to restart the season to start the end of August. That would mean that pre-season would start probably end of May. Okay, so, so there's a bit of a gap there. Then you, yeah. There's a bit of a gap, yeah. So the games don't, they think that the games won't start until the end of August. Right, so you've, you've got a couple of decisions to make there and, and you'll have an opportunity to put a load of tape down over the next couple of months. Yeah, you just I think you just have to see how it goes week by week and literally training session by training session. That's gen, like genuinely my focus because like, if you start to think of big outcomes or like what's next, like you really do forget to do the little things really well. And I've, I've definitely had times in my career where I have thought like that, you think too far ahead and all of a sudden you get an injury or something goes pear-shaped for you and you're not performing and you're missing out in detail. So for me, it really is like, it's just a process. Well, listen, enjoy every step of it because it's an incredible story. Thanks a million for joining us again, Sarah. Best of luck. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. That's uh, Sarah Rowe there, uh, who is um, a soccer player now. Last time we talked to her, she was an AFL player, and before that, obviously, a <laughs> uh, Mayo inter-county footballer. So an incredible career that Sarah Rowe was putting together. It's 11 minutes past nine, a reminder that OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. OTB Gold at one o'clock is the Life and Times of Johnny Kilban at Dadcast from three. Matt Williams, best 15 from four. And Barry Ryan talking about uh, Irish cycling and his book, The Ascent. From 6, the show is live tonight with Joe Malloy and the gang with the slight tangent, first one of the year and plenty more besides. You can follow off the ball across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in latest sports content. Up next, we're joined in studio by loud senior footballer Sam Mulroy, the man behind, you've guessed it, Sam Mulroy Fitness. Uh, we'll chat about how you can maintain and improve your fitness with Sam. Plenty more besides. Back after this. First, this though. Testing 1-2-1-2 GMAC 1-2 GMAC's Morning Motivational Moment Or something along those lines There's so many to choose from Good morning Tim here uh, 
GMAC, as you guys like to call me. Some, uh, some Tuesday motivation for you now. Don't worry if you're late for things. Take life in your stride. If I could sell a port, I'd still probably be late. If I had to pick one superpower, I'd say that would be it. Sell a port session. Anyway, that is your Tuesday motivation. See you tomorrow. GMAX Morning Motivational Moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. All right, I'm delighted to say Sam Mulroy of Sam Mulroy Fitness is here. How are you? How's it going? Yeah, how are you? Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Uh, I presume this is like the busiest three weeks of your life, is it? Yeah, it is. Pretty mental at this stage, but um, oh, look, it's, I suppose you just take it when it comes and it's it's great to have it. Yeah, so you started your business, I think, around 2020, is that right? 2020, it was actually our third birthday there, this 7th of January just gone, so. Right. Um, yeah, three years and two COVIDs. And Did you get it in just before COVID started? Or? It, yeah, we just started that January and then we were, we were going pretty well, we were flying and um, obviously, COVID hit that March or whatever, so a bit of a nightmare. But um, in hindsight, maybe look, it made it. And I suppose if you can survive that, you might survive anything. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about when when you left school. What did you decide to do? What was the path from um, going from uh, not having a business to having a business? Yeah, I suppose a bit of a, not the probably straightforward routine of leaving school and college. And when I left school, I hadn't done a CEO. Hated school at the Pulling time. A little bit there to the mic. Sorry. sorry yeah. And. Um, yeah, hated school and didn't fill in a CEO or anything, so I was building sheds, I think, at one stage after school, and um, Derek Crilly from DKIT ended up um, ringing me looking to play football more so than anything, so... Um, so the lure of Sigerson. The lure of Sigerson, yeah, came calling, so um, I suppose that was how I got into college in the first place, and done a year in Carlo and a couple of years in DKIT, and... What were you um, studying? I was studying sport exercise. Okay. Um, and then I'd done a master's last year in, in Jordan Sen, um in sports management, um, obviously just to compliment. And did you find you liked this when you got into it? No, um, okay. I wasn't even loving it. I was just trying to get through it and getting it done was, was the case. And the, obviously the lower playing football at college and stuff was, um, was probably to the forefront of what I was doing yeah. or why I was there. And then I'd done a placement in, in third year in Sport Ireland um, with Graham Byrne, um, the SNC coach allowed at the time. And that was how I suppose fell in love with fitness and helping people. So the penny dropped at that point. Penny dropped at that point, and Graham Byrne had a little chat with me, sat me down, and probably told me to to cop on a little bit and try sort my life out. So right, um, it was a case of yeah, um, biting the bullet and getting to it. Yeah, it's funny how sometimes um, people having those conversations with you, they mean nothing to you because you're not ready for it. Mm. But when you're ready for it, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I see what you mean now. Yeah, I suppose when you look at it, like, and even spoke about before, Ocean McConville, um, having a little word as well, and when it comes from people like that, I suppose you maybe are. Maybe they're looking right for you. And so did somebody ring Oshin and say, here, listen, will you have a word with this guy? Because, you know... Yeah. Not that I know of. Not that I know of. Look, maybe right. they did. Um, I'd say a few people were giving out about me. But, uh, no, look, I was, I was working on a, a building site and um, it was probably easy for me. Um, it was only down the road. But, look, I think Oshin maybe knew that I had more in me and I had different interests and stuff. And the same with Graeme. So um, it's nice to get chat from people like that and maybe that can see potential in you and stuff. So um, I suppose I was going well in the college placement in, in Sport Ireland. So, right. Um, yeah, he said, look, I'll give it a crack back home and see what happens. So that's where it started. Yeah, it was funny, right? Because uh, sometimes, um, sometimes players going to college just to do a course to play Sigerson gets a bad rap, right? But I'm <laughs> all in favour of it because it actually yeah. gives you a few years to just... Sort yourself out, yeah. Uh, and, like, Figure out what you want to do, exactly, I suppose. Like, you know, yeah. like, find yourself, you know. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, deep like, down. Be <laughs> but, like, how, how is any 16-year-old who is... Or 17-year-old who's filling out the CAO supposed to know... I want to do this thing for the rest of my life and I'm going to do this because that's what you're told absolutely yeah. and actually it's bollocks yeah, like it's tough. just what very you're going to do for the next couple of years absolutely and, yeah um, um, and I suppose look sport was always an interest with football and all that crack so that, that's what, how I fell into that I suppose and yeah. probably the easiest route at the time and um, yeah that's how I got 
in that in that line of work, I suppose. It's also like traditionally uh, everybody's like, oh, go and be a teacher. It's the perfect thing for GA. But actually, I'm not sure it is anymore, particularly with the way the seasons are aligning. But actually, working in the fitness industry is not a really bad thing at all if you want to be uh, involved in elite GA. We see. Uh, various people, you know, TJ Reid famously, uh, Aidan Omani, there's loads of other people who have actually made a career in, in fitness work very well. Uh, Andy uh, Moore was just on this morning as well. Uh, did you talk to any of them at all? I spoke to Andy actually nice. yeah, a couple of times and that, yeah. so um, the link there would be Tom Parsons obviously through the, the GPA and stuff, so um, yeah, I spoke to Andy a good few times and there's a few um, Shane Lines that used to play for Mana has been great to me, so yeah, there's definitely bouncing ideas off other people who've done it and have done it very well, so as you said, TJ's very successful and Andy's been very successful. Yeah. The like, so yeah, it's nice to bounce ideas off them, I suppose, and how they've managed playing into county football and running a business at the same time, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to talk to those guys. It's funny, Sam, like, I'd imagine that like, the days are still long, you're talking 13, 14 hour days in the gym, but it's different from construction, you're not going home completely wrecked, I guess you have some control over the the toll it's having on your body and you can kind of filter it into your own game as well yeah absolutely look it's tough at times absolutely especially when I started off first I was on my own it's great now I have two lads with me there that are um, helping me run the show which is which is nice um, but look there's lots of early mornings and late evenings you're starting first classes at 6am so you're up from 5 and it can be tough if you're coming home from training late that night the night before or whatever but look um, as I said it's great to have I've got the business to a stage now where I can um have a bit of help um, and afford to, to pay those lads to, to come in and give me a little bit of relief when I, when I need it or whatever so here's the plug where is it if anybody wants what, what, <laughs> Honest Advice Samurai yeah. Fitness um, definitely give it, uh, check it out if, if, if they're uh, interested Yeah, you're busy on Instagram giving them uh, good advice oh, too yeah, absolutely flat, yeah. out, flat out Instagram and blogging I think they call it now how is um, how's the football season going for you so far the glamour of the O'Byrne Cup but it's actually started pretty well for you guys it's started pretty well um, I suppose two wins on the bounce last year I think it took us till our fifth game to win um, so I suppose that monkey off the back already has been nice um, a little bit of pressure off I suppose getting a win early so um, for me it's been I was packing my bag Saturday night heading, before heading to Calair and I was kind of thinking what do I actually need here I haven't played since <laughs> October I was carrying a few injuries and stuff so um, I had a few injections last year and so just trying to get everything cleared up so it was nice to I suppose go back and play um, Saturday there which was great um, for the first time in a while and Lyle opted not to play the semi-final against Wexford and Wexford were probably quite keen to, to play it but you have so many guys in Sigerson it, it nearly makes sense given that you're already into the semi-finals of the World Cup not to play yeah, I suppose winning the last two matches took a little bit of pressure off and already through to the semi-final. And then look, it's it's probably just a madness time-wise and um, logistically um, to get lads out of work on the Wednesday. You're travelling down to Wexford, you're playing at 8 o'clock that night. You're probably not home till half one, two o'clock. And for me, I'd have to be up and work at 6am the next morning. So for stuff like that, it just didn't make sense. And then obviously you have the, the other side of the lads playing Sigerson and, and stuff like that. So look, it just didn't make sense and thankfully... Um, we're already true it's just taking pressure off not been, not having to play the match How are you playing yourself? How do you gauge whether or not you're playing well? What What are your own kind of things that make you think okay I'm at it? I probably wasn't at it the weekend as I said it's been a, bit, a couple of months so I was a bit rusty the weekend so um, look I suppose for me it's just setting bar, uh, standards for myself um, turnovers simple things like that that get you into the game is your first touch good Um I suppose a lot of people probably think of can they score points or can they score goals but I think when you chase those you, you probably get a little bit selfish or the team doesn't come first then so it's, I think it's important to set standards that are helping the team um, so for me it's chasing do I have three turnovers Are you always like this or is this part of being captain? And, and uh, no, no I think it was always like that I right. suppose from an early age maybe 18, 19 I probably was the other way in terms of always chasing am I going to be the top scorer yeah. today or whatever like that so now it's bit, it's from then I suppose a couple of years now it's probably trying to chase other things can I get a mark um, in midfield or help 
get three or four turnovers or um, stuff like that. So I think it's important maybe to set standards that way um, in terms of what maybe other people are looking like uh, looking at. Yeah. Funny we had David Tuberty uh, on the show during the week, Sam, and, and like he was talking about the the National League goal scoring record or point scoring record he has, and maybe appreciating it more when he's retired. Like, is that something that you think down the line you'd like to keep racking up the points because it will mean something to you one day? Yeah, maybe one day, yeah. Um, for David, it's absolutely incredible, um, and the stat is pretty impressive. So um, maybe one day, but at the minute, no, I haven't. I don't even know. I haven't checked it. Don't know what the, the tally is or anything. So no, look, maybe one day, and I'm suppose, I suppose definitely is probably special for David now yeah, since he's hung up the boots. Mickey Hart's had a had a serious impact with yourself since he since he took over. I mean, a couple of promotions and like Division Two football, especially the chance to play against the Dubs this year is is, is a real card on the stick. Yeah, absolutely. We've put ourselves in a brilliant position, I suppose, over the last um, two years. Um, I suppose we trained hard. Um, we've put a lot of things in place um, outside of the training pitch, and even in terms of what we do, our centre of excellence, everything's improved and gone up a level. So it's been impressive what the lads have brought to it, and it's been absolutely incredible for me personally and the team um, to get to see what it's like to play at that high level and the standards that's expected of you from the likes of Mickey Hart and what they've done over the last number of years. So um, it's been a really brilliant journey so far but look I suppose this can only be the start of it um, we don't want to go back down to Division 3 or 4 again so it's about setting standards now and I suppose staying there um, and improving on it again um, We've obviously talked a lot on this show about the championship structures but one of the knock-on impacts is that Division 2 of the league is going to be ridiculously competitive and the prize is uh, playing in Sam McGuire yeah. like, uh, and the um, the corresponding side of that is that if you go down then Sam McGuire is really really difficult to get into so mm. uh, all of a sudden these games are literally the be all and end all of the first part of the season and then after that whatever happens in Leinster happens and then after that the championship happens yeah it's there's a lot of games which is brilliant um, but yeah it's going to be tough there's a lot of big games in that division too um, I think for everyone um, yeah. it's going to be seriously competitive You've Derry, Kildare, Dublin, <laughs> like there's some massive teams in there that um, are obviously trying to be getting it, get out of division. Um, and then for a lot of teams, maybe it's trying to stay in that division because, as I said, it's going to be very, very tough um, to pick up points. But look, we'll give it, we'll give it a crack. And hopefully is that it, like, what's that like? Because that's all of a sudden these games really, really, really matter in a way that the league games always really mattered for uh, teams, particularly in Division Four, because you're trying to get into three, and then three is like, okay, these games really matter because you're trying to get into two, and it's um, but now it it's like proper championship fever to the league which is kind of what we always wanted yeah um, absolutely I think Mickey Hart actually spoke about that during the week saying that the league is like a championship now um, I suppose over the last number of years it's massively important for us to get out of divisions and climb up the, climb up the ladder but now it's even more important as you said um, to be in that Sam McGuire is going to be massive for us as a county um, to improve so yeah there's a lot of pressure on those games um, I suppose so is there do you feel, Sam, is there a level of disrespect afforded to, to counties like Louth? Sometimes you, Louth in in past few years have been lumped into the so-called weaker counties bracket, which in many ways is a backslap to those counties because clearly I don't know where you can come and win a Division 4, win a Division 3 title, and all of a sudden you're, you're mixing it with the big guys. So is there sometimes a level of disrespect afforded to some of the counties, especially in Leinster maybe, the, the counties outside Dublin and Kildare maybe, don't get the attention that maybe they deserve? I suppose so, look, but at the end of the day, maybe it's... That maybe they're right. Um, I suppose we haven't done anything to warrant being called a big county or um, same like maybe outside Dublin. No one's won Leinster in the last 
10, 12 odd years so you can't be claiming to be a big county I suppose so it's up to us and the other counties in Leinster to I suppose raise the standards I know we spoke about it before trying to chase down Dublin and stuff so um, I suppose it's up to us and you can't whinge about it or complain about being called a weaker county um, if you're not mixing it with the big boys so um, yeah it'll be interesting to see if we can we can do it this year There's something nice about that even having silverware uh, you know not talking about reflecting on, on, on the end of a career but when you win a Division 3 title in Croke Park with your county that, that must mean that must mean so much, especially to, to people in Louth, because I know they love their football. And clearly it's led to, to different things as well. I mean, Louth are creating a culture. They've got a, a set of excellence and pitch that they're trying to develop as well. So there's a lot of things going on in Louth football, all of them positive. Yeah, absolutely. Look, as I said, it was absolutely massive, I think, for, for Louth to go to Crow Park last year and, and pick up a win. Um, I was there in, I think, 2019 when we were bet by Tipperary in the final in Division 3. So I suppose last year it was nice to be back there and get to walk up the steps of... Um, the Hogan stand and stuff like that's absolutely special and stuff you dream of I know it's maybe for other people it's only a Division 3 title but as you said to create a culture of actually going to Crow Park and winning matches is so so important so um, yeah last year was a massive massive step for Loud and as you said look it builds into everything that we're trying to do in, outside the, the training pitch as I said the, the new stadium coming and stuff like that so as you said Loud people love football and for them to get to go to Crow Park last year and watch us um, play good football and win a match and get to pick up a trophy was, was excellent I think yeah. mm. well, did that culture is that a change do you think uh, that you've noticed since you've come into the, the senior setup? are you part of that change in a way yeah I think so I think everyone has a role to play in it um, I suppose it's massively changed since Mickey Hart's come in um, and just in terms of everyone maybe pushing in the one direction um, I think look sometimes maybe some managers didn't get what they asked for and maybe there was no money there or X, Y and Z I don't know um, look that's probably out of my jurisdiction but look I think since Mickey Hart's come in and he's raised the standard and asked questions of Loud um, do you just want to go there he is happy being in well, three you, or four you have confidence right? in your own ability right that, and that's been clear since you, you came through to the senior team but um, uh, that's great right yeah. but if somebody is challenging you then to back that up then you then have to not just be looking for your nine points in the game you actually have to be looking to to sit, to be the change that reflects well on the team, yeah, and that's the bit I think that might uh, be different from previous uh, iterations, where a great player can come through and, and actually look after themselves. You know, you can mm. just mind yourself if you want to, and, and be. But actually, Mickey coming in is like, well, what are you going to do for everybody else here, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. what's that like? He's, it's excellent. Look, it's it's put me in a position to to try to be better and um, to try and make loud better and it's absolutely incredible that he's given me that responsibility I suppose and ask questions of me if he obviously maybe see something in, in what I can do or what the loud team can do um, so he, he, I don't think he'd ask us to do those things if he didn't think we could so it's been and then you start special. to see the knock on impact of the results yeah look it's special and I suppose when we last year we probably had a poor start to the league and next minute you, you've lost a match and you've drawn a match and uh, the pressure's seriously on then so um, for us to turn it around showed serious character and um, there's a lot of leaders in that squad there now that have really stepped up um, when asked so now it's been a, it's been a serious period I suppose for Loud over last year Funny I was watching Roy Keane on Tommy Tierney the other night and he was talking about leadership and captaincy and he was referencing the fact that there were so many leaders on that Manchester United team throughout the 90s but what, what sort of a, a captain are you like when you got that text or call to, to be the, the, the captain of your county are you vocal in the dressing room is it more of a lead by example kind of thing on the pitch or, or how do you approach uh, that role <laughs> I actually don't know I don't know what the lads would say about me or it's funny like I 
do talk in the dressing room um, when I feel like something needs to be said or I try to demand stuff from, from players that I know can give more or, um, but then again it is about setting um, your own standards and looking after yourself and making sure you're training well or um, being early um, how do you talk to people um, are you saying thanks and please when you're talking to the kit man are you picking up the cones after training I think little things like that make a massive massive difference um, and how people perceive the lead team um, going forward is, is going to be important so um, yeah look things like that are massively important to me um, and then again it's about delivering on the pitch um, most importantly um, if I can go out and play well and do my job um, I think that's probably the most important the, the importance of the provincial championships or relative uh, loss in, in, in I guess interest in them over recent years has, has led to some interesting discussions around the calendar but as, as a loud player do you, do you harbour ambitions of, of winning realistically the Leinster Championship how do you, like, how do you see it I know Loud of course won the the Leinster Championship in 2010 we'll not really talk about that <laughs> maybe that the, the record books don't, don't say, <laughs> maybe say otherwise but is that something that you, you can genuinely I guess look towards in the next five, six, seven years whatever it might be yeah look I think we have to um, for me I don't want to play for the next um, seven, eight, nine years and not be in a provincial final or not have a potential title when I finish um, for me so it's absolutely definitely, definitely a target of mine um, a goal of mine to win one um, so yeah it's just about Look, making that happen, it's going to be. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year or next year. But look, I think it's putting Loud in a position that they can win one. And look, if it means that I retire without one, but we've put Loud, my Loud team and this Loud team at the minute have put Loud in a position to maybe go in in a, in a year, few years after that. Um, I think we've played our part um, in that. So look, it'll be massively important. Um, to do that and I think if we do win one um, it'd, be, it'd be unbelievable I suppose yeah. a little bit of redemption for 2010 maybe yeah yeah Jeez, there'll be some party in loud if that does happen oh um, <laughs> Sam give us some good advice for people who are uh, struggling at the moment with a little bit of motivation in, in uh, January yeah we've a few of those um, I was speaking to a few in the gym last night um, trying to get back into the routine has been tough and I think maybe the split in the week last week with the bank holiday and people were lax getting back into oh, it yeah. so <laughs> yeah yeah I think there was a few of those so um, look I suppose for, for us at the minute it's focusing on um, one thing at a time um, so telling our members look chase one thing if that means getting back into the gym twice three times a week focus on that don't be trying to change a hundred things at once I think everyone's probably trying to focus on diet and nutrition and steps and um, what weights am I lifting and chasing too many things instead of just chasing one get back into the routine and um, once you start enjoying it again I think it's it's massively important and helpful What do you say to people who are who are afraid of the, the gym culture do you know the, the mirrors the grunts the testosterone flowing around the room like it, it, some people I guess think that that is the idea of what a gym is and or maybe is supposed to be when in fact the the reality is probably a lot different yeah absolutely look and for us my gym is a is a private training facility and um, we don't have open people just coming in the whole time there's no mirrors in the gym and um, we chase a no egos and um, kind of culture and um, so it's for us it's been massively important to have that community feel in our gym and um, so people come in their friends they talk before class they go for coffee together. Mm-hmm. We've tried to create that so that it's not that intimidating feel to wear to wear a gym. And for me, that's so important because. Where did you get that idea? I don't really know. I think um, we've had a few like kind of asks for the mirrors and stuff, and I just think it's for me. I think to succeed in what we're trying, what I'm trying to do with the business, um, it's been massively important. The community, they're nearly in funny in a way. Was the exercise is secondary, or pre-COVID. When you set it up, was it always going to be like that, or did COVID? No, I think out? at the time. Funnily, at the time, it was probably to get through college, right. um, a little bit of money, something I enjoyed, and that's what it was. But then, look, as I went down the line, and I suppose talked to the likes of Andy Moore and X, Y, and Z, and then I realised that look, maybe the exercise isn't as important as people think it is, and 
do they come for the exercise of class or do they come to chat to their friends and have a social life and look we do members events and we go away we have a night out the odd time and stuff like that I think that's massively important and I think if you can find a gym that does that for you and you actually enjoy going to and you're not going sitting down and even going oh I can't believe I have to go to the gym now yeah. or it's actually make it a little bit of a habit that it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle I suppose yeah so that's what we try to create um in, in, in my gym so yeah no, it's, it's worked well I think at the minute so we're trying to drive that massively What do you make of Lee Keegan hanging up the boots bit of a uh, a sad day for Mayo supporters. sad day for Mayo sad day for GEA I think like what a hell of a footballer he's been absolutely incredible colossal for, for Mayo over the last number of years he's always showed up when, when they need him I was reading a stat I think you guys had up this morning about his, his goals and points scored um, over the last number of years in big games has been incredible so yeah sad day for GEA and definitely Mayo fans yeah big game player Big game, yeah, big game player. Great, great for the half forward of the country. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck uh, with the season. Um, this is going to be a bear pit of, uh, of a league campaign, so whatever happens, best of luck with it. Thank and you. continue success with the business. Cheers, thank you. So if anybody wants any classes, yeah, are, have you any availability? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah we'll squeeze them in. Yeah, okay, good stuff. Uh, Sam Roy, ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much. It's uh, 9.34 this morning, OTBA, and brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And we're going to leave you here with some reflections from James. Horn. A reminder tomorrow though we'll have Republic of Ireland Youth International Cristiano Fitzgerald on the show. Uh, fresh from signing his first senior contract with Boa Vista. More football chat and plenty more besides. Enjoy. Have a terrific Tuesday. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.